Welcome to WCPT's Mayoral Candidates Forum. It is a pleasure to be here at the Mothership. I'm Tori Ryder, just a few moments away from turning it over to Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, Patty Vasquez, who will be interviewing all of the candidates, and there are a lot of them, for the position of mayor of our fabulous city. Right now with me, I have to say I'm a bit of a of, a, of an Axelrod fangirl. He's joining us from his remote location. David Axelrod, thank you. Welcome to WCPT to give us a little bit of your insight. Great to be with you. It's an honor. So let's just get right to it. Everyone is prognosticating, theorizing, trying to to weigh the odds here. I mean, it, it really is a bit of a horse race, right? Yes. Yeah. Listen, I I think that it is a horse race in two parts. Right. The first is which two horses are going to line up for the final sprint. And the second is which of those two horses will win. Yes. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's complicated. Um, And uh, we still have some time to go here. But if you were to if you were to guess. Right now, based on everything we see, there are three horses to keep an eye on here. Uh, one is Paul Vallis, another is Chewy Garcia, and the third is the mayor. And the question is, in this game of musical chairs, who among those three uh, are most likely to be left after uh, the 27th of February? So this sounds like you've completely written off Mr. Johnson. Is that right? I haven't written them off. I don't. I don't write people off, and I have a lot of respect for voters, and I have respect for him. Uh, and you know, he's running an energetic campaign. Obviously, he's got the support of Chicago Teachers Union, a major force in uh, in our city. Um, you know, he's 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 running a, an aggressive advertising campaign. Um, I think he's got a long way to come, though, because he is not a um, as much of a known entity. Uh, as the others. I think he could impact on the race. He could take votes from the mayor. And one of the problems for the mayor, I mean, she's got multiple One, one of the many, yes. <laughs> pick pick well, one. Multiple, multiple problems. But, I mean, uh, in addition to the fact that she is, is not terribly popular uh, and there's such angst about uh, public safety uh, as an issue, um, she, there are also, you know, of the, what, nine candidates Seven of them are African-American. Presumably, that will be part of her base. That that is her base. It it is divided. Uh, Paul Vallis uh, has sort of a clear sailing for Northwest, Southwest uh, voters. Chuy Garcia, a strong base in the Hispanic community. Mayor's fighting for for her base. Not to say that people can't draw from other people's bases, but in primaries, it's good to have a base to build on. So her base is divided. And I think Johnson, uh, I think Johnson can, the better he does, some of that will come at her expense. Some of it could come at Chewy Garcia's 
Uh, well, well, let's turn to Mr. Garcia. Uh, he just, I understand, he just put up his ads. Um, he has money. But uh, she's been really, or, or her IEs, independent expenditure groups, I'm not sure who was paying for some of these really damning ads, like so negative, so early. Did that really damage Chewy Garcia? Yeah, I don't know. I, I um, you know, I don't know how effective those ads were, but it's never good to have um, negative ads up when you're not on the air. The Garcia campaign obviously made a decision. My my guess is that, and if they thought they were being damaged, I think that they would have gotten up sooner. But uh, I think they wanted to to husband their money so that they could go up and stay up for now uh, to primary day. So I expect he will stay up. Till primary day. I thought it was an interesting call on the part of the mayor because uh, she went after Garcia. She didn't go after Dallas. Um, and it made me uh, think that she would not, that A, she thinks Garcia is more competition in her lane, and B, she may prefer to run against Dallas than Garcia. Yeah, uh, I think that makes interesting sense. Interesting choice. You know? um, what about turnout? This is going to be, this is going to be the thing, right? I mean, it's it, always the thing in a way. But yes, yes, yes. talk a little yeah, bit about I mean, turnout and and the people who say, "Oh yeah, I'm supporting," and then somehow they don't show up. How is the new early voting? They got the super sites open now. Is any of this going to help get people's bases to the polls? Well, I mean, I think campaigns help get people's bases to the poll. Polls And, you know, you mentioned uh, Johnson uh, earlier, mm-hmm. uh, having the support of a major organizing force like the CTU that can help with turnout on his part. Uh, you know, Chewy, the Hispanic community has been uh, historically uh, has historically lagged in terms of turnout. Uh, Garcia has been, you know, a force in terms of uh, marshalling that community. Uh and uh, so, you know, we'll see how he does with that. Vallis has the support of the uh, FOP uh, and uh, Northwest Southwest. That may be uh, that may be very meaningful. He's also raising money. Let me say one more thing about him. We don't know yet. I mean, people will. No one has touched him, so he's not had a negative ad run against him. But I've said this publicly, and this is a clinical judgment, not an endorsement, but um, he's, run the, he's run the clearest campaign. His, his ads are, are, are consistent, they're blunt, and they address the uh, – there are three top issues in this race, public safety, public safety, and public safety. Yes, that is taking – let me – that space. Let me just ask you a little bit about public safety because the cops, the cops and firefighters who are the the frontline people a lot of the time, they're going to go with Vallis. There's no place else they're going to go as far as I can tell. But what about people who have other public safety concerns like uh, riding transit, for example? Where, where do they go if they if they're not cops, firefighters, people who just absolutely – I, I hope I'm not like just prog- really speculating here, but a lot of the cops and firefighters, you could pretty much bet they're not going to vote for a whole bunch of the candidates. But there are people who are in other neighborhoods besides the northwest side uh, who are really 
really worried about public safety, and they wouldn't go with Vallis. You're making making my point, though, uh, because um, I I don't, I mean, the the issue of public safety has, has touched every community in the city. You know, it's tragic in a sense because there have been public safety issues for some communities forever. Yes. And, and uh, but now, uh, you know, these these issues are are becoming more pervasive. And so, you know, I, I don't think that I don't think what Val it's interesting. You look at Vallis's ads, you know, he's and he's stressing, I think, overstressing at points uh, uh, his you know, democratic ties and credentials. And he's doing that because I think he wants to make sure that he's still available to people who aren't, you know, FOP, Republican, uh, uh, conservatives uh, on this issue. So he tries to tie himself to Barack Obama, and ties himself to, uh, you know, to daily putting more police on the streets. And Could so that on. work? Could uh-huh. that actually work for him? Quick answer, because in a moment we're going to we're going to be with Joan Esposito on, on the site. But could that work? Yes. Yeah, I think it could. But we have to see what happens when people start firing back, questioning, you know, why he left so many jobs in the last decade in different cities in the country. Why did he? Well, you got an do you have an insight on that? Why, why did he? I don't know. I mean, I worked with Paul. Paul's, Paul's a bright guy. I don't know what happened in those cities, but uh, but I'm sure that opponents have, uh, you know, their own theories of that, that they were, will be sharing should he advance uh, in this primary and even before the primary comes. But right now, I'm just telling you, just clinically watching the advertising campaigns, um, I think that he has seized some turf here that is very valuable to have in this primary. Well, it is interesting because there are, as you point out, and everybody knows, if you if you ride transit in this town, if you walk out of your door in this town, um, there, there are real security issues. The city with their, like, here, have a free camera. Um, I don't know that the non-cop solutions are appealing to uh, people who aren't cops and firefighters. How do you have any insight on how some of these public safety measures that don't involve sworn officers officers are playing elsewhere in the city? I, I, I don't. And they're so important. They're such an important part of the discussion. If you're really talking about public safety and Brandon Johnson has been talking about those in his campaign. But, the you know, Campaigns are, are shorthand, and in shorthand, uh, uh, you know, some of the more nuanced uh, proposals sometimes get lost, and that's a danger here. Listen, before you before you gong me here. Well, we have a little. Actually, we have we we lucky me, and again, the fangirl, we get a little more time. Woo! So yes, give me thirty seconds. Give me thirty seconds. You can have more than thirty seconds. Go ahead. Well, no, I'll say I'll say it now, then we can get back to the campaign. Yes, I'm so delighted to be with you because I. I have such uh, admiration for the station and also uh, for the the man who owns the station, Fred Eichner, who I think is a a civic hero uh, and uh, and a great friend of mine. Well, you'll never go wrong supporting him on this radio station. That's for sure. So, yes. Well, he deserves all the support he gets because he's one of the great altruists in our city and has made such a such a an impact you know and he's 
supported my Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago, but we've been friends for years. And this is just one of this station is just one of his projects, bringing a strong progressive voice to the city. Well, to be fair, and I, I do want to be fair, as a moderate Democrat, I've been, and just speaking personally, I've been delighted that I have an opportunity to be a strong, solid, middle-of-the-road Democrat on this radio station when I show up and fill in. Probably and, on this radio station, I would be considered the same. Yeah, but, maybe. But it's, a, it's a thoughtful place. It's a thoughtful place. Yes, it is. So let me ask you, now, now, that, we, now, that, we've, now that we've all expressed our true love and admiration for for the owner of this joint, um, let me ask you about non-sworn officer solutions. That can you yeah. list? I can list like four off the top. I've, we've got the um, the public safety guards on CTA platforms. We've got the cameras. Um, we've got oh my gosh, two other things just flew out of my head. What what other options are people talking about? Let me let me just say that we need to think bigger. We need to think bigger. We need to think because there are, in fact, reasons why we have uh, this sort of uh, epidemic of crime and violence. A lot of it has to do with, um, you know, a few thousand young men who uh, don't have uh, op- other options fall into the, the, the gang uh, life. My, my friend Arnie Duncan is doing wonderful work on this particular issue, but we need to scale the ideas about how do we get people away from uh, from the idea that uh, the gang life, gun toting, and all of that is is uh, you know a sense of community or belonging, and uh, you know so that's. That's one thing. We well, have do, do you anticipate that in this conversation, organizations like My Block, My Hood, My City, intervention uh, groups will, will come up in the conversation? Is anyone talking I, I about these? I hope they do. I think we have to treat public safety like the uh, civic emergency that it is. And we got everybody at the table, foundations corporations because city can't afford to do it all and say in addition to the short-term measures because we need the short-term measures you know we need to get police back in the communities and there are a lot of things we need to do in addition to the short-term measures what are the intermediate and long-term measures that we have to employ because this is not a new problem. No, it's not. And so we're going to see where the candidates come down on all these issues. I'm eager to hear them. Thanks again for spending time uh, with us to give us your perspective. And I'm guessing you'll be listening because I'm sure is going to be listening. Thank you very much. David Axelrod, uh, political savant, great uh, commentator. You've seen him on TV and a supporter of the owner of this station, as am I. Let's join Joan Esposito now. She is live with the candidates at Morningstar Auditorium on WCPT. Joan, it's yours. Welcome to the WCPT 820 Chicago Mayoral Candidate Forum, moderated by Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Morningstar, Inc., Rover's Local 11, Chicago Voice and Data Authority, East Lake Management, Chicago Teachers Union Local 1, and Oscar Isberian Rugs. Holding down the fort at the studio. Hello, 
Welcome to the WCPT AM820 Mayoral Forum. We are so glad you're all here. We are so glad all the candidates are here. I'm Joan Esposito. I host Live Local and Progressive on uh, Chicago's Progressive Talk Station. We are at Morningstar Auditorium in downtown Chicago with the candidates for mayor. And I am joined by my two esteemed colleagues and fellow moderators. Patty Vasquez is the host of Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT. And she will uh, join us during the second half of each panel. And uh, the lovely Santita Jackson is also here. Santita hosts, of course, the Santita Jackson Show every morning on WCPT. I hope you enjoyed clapping because don't do it anymore, okay? (laughs) Put your phones away, or better yet, power down. Put them on silent. We love the fact that you're here, but we really want to try to get as much time with the candidates as we can, and you'd be surprised how much time comments or applause eat up in a forum like this. So please, in the interest of making this a better, more informative panel, please uh, power down and do not applaud or react. Um, And in the interest, by the way, in making sure that we have a full conversation, we've split the candidates into two different panels. Our first panel, obviously, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Next to her, Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia. Next to him, former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis. Uh, Next to him, uh, the lovely uh, Dr. Willie Wilson. Then we have Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. And again, that beautiful lady at the end is Santita Jackson. She and I are going to be hosting the first 30 minutes of this first panel. Our second panel is going to include Alderman Sophia King, State Representative Cam Buckner, Alderman Roderick Sawyer, and community activist Jamal Green. Each panel is one hour long, and here's how we're going to work it. Uh, We're going to give each candidate two minutes to make an opening statement. Candidates, in case they didn't show you, there's our little timer. It's going to count down. I have been elected to be the time police today, so if you run over, I will have to jump in. After you each take two minutes for an opening statement, you will have 75 seconds to answer each question, the ones posed by me and Santita and Patty. If you are named in a candidate's reply, if one candidate names another and that candidate feels that they need to rebut, please wave your hand. We'll assume if you don't wave your hand, you'll just wait till your next turn. Uh, Wave your hand, and we may give you 30 seconds then, 30 seconds to follow up. At the end of the proceedings, everybody will have one minute for a closing statement. Um, Please, everybody, you, the audience, behave yourselves. Candidates, abide by the time limits. With that, let's go. We are starting again, as I said, with opening statements. Each candidate has two minutes to give you theirs. We're going to start with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I am seeking your vote for four more years in re-election to finish the work that we started. We've been through a lot in these last four years, and frankly, we've been through hell and back, and I, like most of you, have the scars to show it. But what I also know is, rather than leading into your fears, as some are doing, I want to lead into your hope. 
the hope that I've seen in every neighborhood of the city through tough times and difficult times, but also through hopeful and aspirational times. The hope where you have opened up your homes and your heart uh, to me. The hope where we have come together through one of the toughest challenges that we have ever faced in a global pandemic and all the cascading consequences of that. The hope that has allowed us not to be bowed and broken, but to be resilient, to show the grit that marks us as Chicagoans. We have tackled some of the greatest challenges that our city has ever known, sometimes decades in the making. And we've done that by coming together, by rolling up our sleeves, by not forgetting that we are brothers and sisters on this journey together, that we are neighbors, and importantly, that we are Chicagoans. Yes, we have our challenges that remain. But what I know is that there's no mountain that we can't climb because we've proven it over and over again by coming together. Whether it's public safety, whether it's uh, stitching back together the social safety net, whether it's making our city more economically sound and rebounding and resilient than any other place in the U.S. We've done it over and over again. And I want to be your mayor for four more years to finish the work that we started. And I hope with God's grace and your support on February 28th, we'll continue our journey. Thank you. Congressman Garcia, two minutes for an opening statement. Thank you, Joan, and uh, thanks to everyone in the room and listening through the airwaves. I truly love Chicago. Chicago welcomed me as a nine-year-old boy when I came from Mexico. It shaped me. It toughened me. It made me a proud Chicagoan. I am a product of public and Catholic schools. I'm a product of neighborhoods in Chicago. I have raised children and now grandchildren who attend, attended and attend Chicago public schools. I dedicated my life to public service in gratitude for the welcoming that I have received and the shaping of my life and my values that I owe to the city of Chicago. I chose public service because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to deliver for those who placed their trust in me. I've decided to run for mayor of the city of Chicago because I want to make Chicago a place where everyone feels safe. I want to make Chicago a place where neighborhoods are thriving and the city is becoming more equitable. I want to be mayor because I want to reestablish trust among community residents and leaders of this city, whether it's members of the city council, certainly the mayor, and throughout, Chicago needs to enter a new phase of development. And I want to be mayor of Chicago because I see this as an opportunity to rebuild Chicago equitably, coming out of the pandemic and taking advantage of resources on the horizon that Congress has allocated that will rebuild America and its infrastructure. That can be a driving point. Thank you for the opportunity to be a public servant, Chicago. Mr. Vallis, your opening statement. Thank you so much. Uh, Chicago's in a leadership crisis. If you look at the problems of a degraded uh, police department to uh, a school system that individuals have been leaving in record number, or for that matter, uh, the increasing 
afford, unaffordability of a city that is now the highest tax, sales tax, property tax, fee and fine city among big cities in the country. The, all those consequences are the consequences of bad decision making. The only, and it's bad decision making from the fifth floor. And the only way to address bad decision-making is with good decision-making. The only way to address the leadership issue is to elect a mayor who can bring the leadership to the city to not only articulate a vision for the city, but more importantly, to recruit from within the community the type of individuals who can come in and can hit the ground running, whether it's assembling the right leadership team in the police department, whether it's bringing the right leadership to the Chicago Public Schools, whether it's bringing the type of the right leadership to every city department and every city agency so that the city can get back on track. My entire career has been doing turnarounds, from rescuing uh, the budget during the daily administration during the early years to taking a school district that was uh, considered by many to be the worst in the country and transforming it then into a national model, to doing Philadelphia school rescues, to building, rebuilding an entire school system after Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. But I did it not by coming in as a sole uh, leader, but I did it by drawing from within the community and assembling the type of leadership team that could get those projects, get those meet those challenges, and get those systems back on track. That's the leadership that I have demonstrated in every one of, of my public service assignments that have always been by invitation, and that's the leadership that I'll bring to City Hall. Thank you. Dr. Wilson. Thank you. Uh, in, in reality, uh, our, our city is unsafe, and I'll make it safe by lying to it. People are afraid business are leaving the city. People cannot afford to live in the city because of high taxes. We need to lower these taxes. And we need to back our police officer. We need to take the handcuffs off the police officer, put them on the one that is committing a crime. I'll be tough on crime. I'm running for mayor of the city of Chicago. I don't want no paycheck. I'm not going to take any money from anybody that... Give me a huge amount of money. I don't want it. I'm running from the heart. I'm running to fix the city. A city that's been good to me and my family. And I'm up here today. I'm be someplace after a while, later on this next few, four weeks. And I'm going to be tough on crime and lower these taxes so people can afford to Take the state out of great city. And I'm going to give it straight to you. I may be controversial from time to time, but I'm going to say it like it is. I'm going to make sure that we all can feel safe. I'm going to make sure nobody has to shoot and kill your son or your daughter like they did my son. Make sure that the grand kids are safe and everybody's safe I'm sick and tired of it I'm here running for mayor for this reason and lastly I just wanted to acknowledge Reverend Jesse Jackson for here who's been on line for a long long time and just wanted to say that before we uh, get started someone I appreciate someone who stood in the, in the gap for us in terms of civil rights black and white and for all of us Reverend Jackson, thank you for 
being here and thank you for who you are. God bless Commissioner, Commissioner Johnson, your two-minute opening statement. Well, good afternoon. My name is Brandon Johnson. I'm proud uh, to represent the 1st District of Cook County, the west side of Chicago, and the western suburbs. There's no one in this race that has greater incentive for this city to work than someone who is raising a family on the west side of Chicago. I'm going to get more into that in just a second. And though I've enjoyed being a Cook County Commissioner, the best job that I've ever had is that of a public school teacher teaching in Cabrini Green, USA. And in Cabrini Green, it really captures the essence of the city of Chicago. Because my students from their back windows could see, could hear, could smell, could practically touch one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the entire city. But out of their front windows, they had bulldozers staring them down every day, preparing to destroy their public housing. And that's what's messed up about this stratified economy, where families wake up every single day chasing down an economy that's behind them while everything else in front of them is crumbling. And that's why I'm running for mayor, to finally put an end and retire this tale of two cities and usher in a better city, a united city, a safer city. And look, on the west side of Chicago, my wife and I, we've had to change one of the windows in our home from one of the bullets that have come through our home. Every time my 15-year-old son rides his bike, my last worry is him getting hit by a car. No one should have to live that way. But it's why I invested one of the largest amounts of dollars into violence prevention as Cook County Commissioner. It's why I put forth the pathway for the justice for black lives and the budget for black lives, providing the framework of how the county government actually invests in the county government. As mayor of the city of Chicago, I'm going to unite this city, a better city, a united city, one that we can all be proud of. And I humbly ask for your support. Thank you. Go ahead, Santita. Thank you, Joan. And I want to welcome the candidates and to you, Mayor Lightfoot. And let us begin with you, Madam Mayor. The number of homicides in Chicago declined in 2022. But it is the highest it has been since the 1990s. Chicago had its worst month for car thefts in more than 20 years last October. <clears throat> Violent crime has soared. You say your public safety plan is working. Can you say right now that the city is safe? Look, the bottom line is we have to live in a city where everyone feels safe because they are safe. And I've said this before, and I'll say it here. Um, we have to make sure that Chicago is the safest big city in the country. And I'm not going to rest until that happens. <clears throat> Absolutely, we made progress uh, year over year in 22. Homicides down 14 percent, shootings down another 20 percent, and carjackings finally down 10 percent. But we have more work to do. We have more work to do to make sure that we're going into community and asking block by block. What will it take for you to feel safe? That's why we hired 750, I'm sorry, 950 new officers last year. That's why we have promoted over 200 plus detectives uh, in the last year. That's why we have increased the budget overall for the Chicago Police Department every single year to make sure that they're the best trained, best equipped police force in the country. But we also know that we can't put the entire burden of making our city safe on law enforcement. We've got to use our soft power, which is why we've invested 
and street outreach, the largest investment in the history of our city. We've gone into community and supported them with affordable housing and other things that we know are important to create vibrant, safe neighborhoods. Congressman Garcia, we're going to stay on the topic of crime. Earlier this month, you rolled out a public safety plan. In response, Mayor Lightfoot's campaign argued that you took a sharp turn from previous comments aligning with the defund the police movement. Have you supported a movement to defund the police? I have not supported any such movement. On the contrary, I know about gun violence. Forty years ago, my best friend, my political mentor, Rudy Lozano, was assassinated in his kitchen of his home in front of his two-year-old son, my godson. Four years ago, a young man was killed in front of my house while I was on my way home. My wife called desperately. That murder never solved. One of the many in Chicago. My plan, Joan, is a plan that will modernize the police department. The way forward is implementation of the consent decree. The difference between my plan and the mayor's plan is that it recognizes that we need new leadership in the police department. She's hanging on to the leadership that's proved to fail in Chicago. My plan will be executed. Look at the record currently. Only 29 of 552 recommendations from the consent decree, and it's the law that we have to abide by it, have been implemented. I will move citywide units into neighborhood units. I will modernize. I will fill the vacancies in the police department. At the heart of everything that we do is building trust among community residents and new police leadership that embraces change and progress. Well, you were only referred to as she, but I think we know he's talking about you. Would take oh, 30 seconds for rebuttal. As the only woman up here on the stage, I think that I am the she. I've got to correct two things. Number one, Congressman Garcia was the original defunder. In 2011, he started his time as Cook County Commissioner by slashing the sheriff's budget. He slashed the amount of resources for the adult probation. And more recently, he says, oh, I'm not a defunder, but appeared at a rally with a bunch of defunders crowing about the fact that he sponsored a piece of legislation that would put not one more dollar into policing nationally. This man is a defunder, pure and simple. The original OG, as I call him, don't let him fool you. Look at my record and what we no, no, did no, in Congress no just the at the end of the that. year. Mr. Garcia, I'm oh. sorry. I'm sorry, Congressman. We <laughs> I didn't invoke her name. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Senator. Commissioner Johnson, if you would. You told the Chicago Sun-Times that, quote, we are experiencing an explosion of violent crimes because you have politicians like Mayor Lightfoot and Mr. Vallis and... Congressman Garcia, who continue to propose the same old, same old, close quote. The public safety section of your website appears to be just over 100 words. You released a plan to pay for your budget just a week ago, and in the plan it says, up next, a plan for a safer Chicago. Commissioner, what is your plan, and when do you plan to present it? Thank you, Santita. Look, we're all feeling less safe and less hope because of the politics of old continues to leave families behind. There's nothing original on this stage except for me. Because, look, the, the bottom line is, if we want safe cities, a safe city, we have to do what American cities that are safe do. They invest in people. My plan looks right in the eyes of those individuals that have been left behind. Those are our young people. I'm going to have the most robust youth hiring program that this city has seen. 
giving real hope to young people. I know what that despair looks like. Failed policy that disinvests in our schools, that closes down our homes, that shuts uh, people out of the opportunities to experience mental health. That's why I'm a supporter of passing treatment, not trauma, which will provide mental health responders on the front line so that 40% of the calls that are coming through can actually be addressed that will ultimately free up law enforcement to actually do the job that, that all the folks on this state say they care about, but they can't do. 40% of the calls that come through are mental health crises. Over 40% of the calls that come through that are violent happen in 6% of the neighborhoods. It's not about being tough. It's about being serious and smart. And that's why my plan that I'll unveil next week is much better. Thank you. Mr. Vallis. You've accepted the endorsement of the Chicago Fraternal Order of Police. Their president, John Catanzara, is a Donald Trump supporter who defended the January 6th riots and compared Mayor Lightfoot's vaccine mandate for city employees to the Holocaust. What is your relationship with John Catanzara, and do you agree with him? Well, first of all, I don't agree with him. And secondly, I was invited by the FOP to come in um, and also really clearing it with the mayor's negotiating team. Jim Francic, I had negotiated city contracts with for decades. He was delighted to have me on board. I did the work for free because it was clear that after five years, in effect, had they not gotten the contract, an additional 2,500 police officers probably would have left and then imagine where we would be. But let me tell you, when we negotiated this eight-year contract, it included all the accountability provisions that the public was demanding that were negotiated and approved by the city council in the sergeant's contract. So from day one, I said, we're not going to have a contract without full accountability. I think I've demonstrated by being able to negotiate with the FOP, as well as being able to negotiate with teacher unions in four different cities without ever having a strike and with always awarding pay raises and compensation and pay increases that I can basically negotiate with just about anybody. You're not going to have real police reform unless you get cooperation from the FOP, just as you're not going to have real school reform unless you have negotiation and unless you demonstrate respect with the Chicago Teachers Union. And I have demonstrated that type of negotiating skills in the past, and I'll do it in the future. Um, Santino, we want to take the next question, and then Mayor will come to you. Dr. Wilson, we, of course, are coming to you. You said that we put too many restrictions on police officers, saying that uh, we need to, quote, take the handcuffs off, close quote, and that people who flee police should, quote, be hunted down like rabbits, close quote. In light of those statements, what specific policies would you change and implement? Well, I've used that comment, and be honest with you, I, um, <clears throat> look, you don't understand. When you lose a 20-year-old son, get killed by a gun battle, it's emotion. When people out here got to prevent them from losing a loved one, when I said hunt them down like a rabbit, I should have said, said more than that. I am tired of people making excuses out here for these people committing crime. You know, all you ever hear is that excuses, excuses. A major corporation, if you don't do your job, you're fired. You, 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 you get a paycheck. You don't do your job. You fire them jokers. 
you know. But when, when crime in something like the city of Chicago, when people are scared to go out their home, carjacks, kids can't play into the uh, community. You, you, you need to hunt everybody down that commit these crimes without them just walking around to commit a crime to someone else. I, I'm unrest and I'm disturbed about it. Dr. Wilson, I'm going to have to cut you off there. You didn't give me my time. Uh, yeah, that's actually reset for the next person to talk. We already went past zero. You, you put the time right here? Okay. Okay. Um, Mayor Lightfoot, a lot of critics have gone after Police Chief Superintendent David Brown. He's been the target of complaints, especially regarding canceling officer days off. All of your opponents have said that they will remove him if they are elected. Is David Brown still the right choice to lead the CPD? And if so, explain why you continue to stand by him. Well, I want to pick up on one thing that Paul Vallis didn't answer. You asked him what's his relationship with uh, John Cantasari. He didn't answer that, and understandably so, because he's one of the most repugnant people that we've seen in our city for a long time. Um, yeah, the FOP invited all of us to seek their endorsement. You and Mr. Wilson, I believe, are the only two that said yes. And the fact of the matter is, you're taking your advice on public safety from John Cantazara. And there's a lot of criticism about David Brown and where we are, but here's what I think people should know. Paul Vallis says, I am the one who is the answer for a crime in the city, but the truth is, when he was budget director and he says he was in charge of the police budget, the homicides in our city started at 851, then they went up to 927. Then they went up to 940. This man has no plan to keep Chicago safe. And he's embellishing all the other parts of his so-called public safety bona fides. David Brown has been through hell and back as we have. He is, um, in this moment, leading our department, and I stand by him. But the important thing is I stand by our police officers, and I stand by the street outreach, and I stand by the other people who are working tirelessly every day to keep our neighborhoods safe. That's what people need to focus on and know. Mr. Vallis, 30 seconds for rebuttal. <clears throat> Great. Well, you know, first of all, uh, 947 murders in 1992 when I came in to be budget director. And after the community policing initiatives, you saw the largest decrease in crime in the city's history, down to, I think, the low 400s. But you had nothing to do Brown needs to go, and, and Brown's leadership needs to go. And at the end of the day, we've got to attack the larger issue, and that's the promoting people into the exempt ranks and the positions of responsibility based on friends and family and not time and grade and experience. The bottom line is the police department, real reform demands real reform within the leadership ranks. Mr. Vallis, your time is uh, up. Santita, back to you. <laughs> Mr. Vallis. Again, okay. <laughs> under the under Mayor Lightfoot's administration, the Chicago Police Department budget has received more support. It's increased by sixty-four million dollars in 2023. Nine hundred fifty Chicago Police Department officers were hired, and more than twelve thousand illegal guns were taken off the streets in 2022, despite a national police staffing crisis. So, why does Mayor Lightfoot deserve no credit? for this progress. Well, look, you can confiscate uh, guns, but are you 
Are you holding the people accountable for the illegal guns? The bottom line is the police will tell you that they don't have any real forensic capacity to actually do the gun tracings. So at the end of the day, people just go out and they get new guns. But let me point out that the police strength is now 1,700 lower than it was when Ron Emanuel left office. And the failure to fill vacancies has resulted in beats, local police beats, maybe being half covered. There are nights when you have police beats, police districts that might have one sergeant on duty. 76% decline in arrest rates during a period of historic increases in violent crime. That's because not only do they have a severe shortage, but the strategy that Brown abandoned, the Beck strategy, interim superintendent Beck strategy of pushing the police down to the local beats was effectively abandoned. So what you do is... I think Wirepoints reported last year that the previous year, 406,000 high-priority 911 calls, including 32,000 assaults and batteries, had not been responded to in a timely manner because there was not a patrol car available. Those are just hard facts, and they reflect the failure of the current CPD leadership. Congressman Garcia. i got to respond to that. I mean, it's a direct... Please. But, but everybody here is going to be talking about the city of Chicago oh, in, yeah. in every but question, in every capacity, unless they attack you personally. Those are the rules well, that we've set up that for that. But, Joan, just for the record, I was not invited for an FOP endorsement. You too, right. All right. We've lost reason. control here already. Um, Congressman Garcia, please get us out of this. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot's campaign has said that your public safety plan is a copy-pasted version of her Safer Chicago plan. How is your approach to crime different from Mayor Lightfoot's? First of all, my public safety plan is informed by my experience in Chicago. Of anyone that will come on this stage, no one has developed, designed, and implemented and practiced violence prevention and interruption on the ground. I did it in Little Village. The organization that I led was consulted by people all over the city of Chicago. We networked with others. Others took the model. We've been con- they were consulted nationally. I've also built schools and good schools and sent kids to college and universities. The difference between the two plans is the following. I recognize the need for new leadership, and there will be new leadership. Superintendent Brown will go. It's been a failure. Everyone in Chicago knows that. People around him know that. That's why they don't follow him. Some people want to keep him around. I don't. The other difference is implementation of the consent decree. The consent decree is the law. It is the roadmap for moving Chicago forward, for modernizing our police force, for ensuring community policing, constitutional policing, and joining other cities that have modernized their police departments and have transparency and accountability. Congressman Garcia, your time is up. Commissioner uh, Johnson. I, I, would, I would like to actually respond since he criticized. I did not. Specific. I did not invoke the any name. The consent decree. I did not. Is at 80% compliant. I did not. I did not invoke any name. Maybe you and, missed and that. We were in the back room, okay. committing, c- cutting deals with Mike Madigan. The, 80% this is further ahead. With the moderators. Thank you. I, I, who's moderating here? I'm we love a spirited, <laughs> passionate give and take here, especially between allies <laughs> at WCPT. <laughs> oh my, Santita. Want to go ahead? I love it. Don't you love these spirited debates? Give them a round of applause, everybody. All right. 
And this goes to you, Commissioner Johnson. In July of 2020, at the height of the George Floyd demonstrations, you were the lead sponsor of a Cook County Board of Commissioners resolution advocating for diverting police funds to other public programs. And in December of 2020, you said regarding the movement to defund the police, quote, I don't look at it as a slogan. It's an actual real political goal, close quote. Do you support diverting resources away from the police, reallocating them other places? Where should these resources go? Well, thank you, Santita, for the question. And it's an important discussion because I'm the only person on this stage that's actually released a budget. When we're talking about resources, when we're talking about building a better Chicago, regardless of what plan you present, if we don't figure out how we're going to pay for it, then it's just it's a dead plan. And so what my belief is, which is very clear, that the people of Chicago believe in investing in people It's the surest way to actually reduce violence. If we want a safer, stronger, better Chicago, it's not enough just to love the city. You have to love people. You do. Listen, I can tell you what the budgets look like from the politics of old. It means the defunding of public schools, the defunding of mental health clinics, the defunding of public housing. If anything, if you want to critique me, critique me as the investor in chief. Because I, there's, listen, I represent the, the Oak Park. They, they love their children so much that they invest in school districts, parks, a public health system. You can sign your child up in Oak Park for a hula hoop class, just little white kids just walking in circle. But we can't invest in the children of the city of Chicago. Under my plan, we invest in people. Thank you. Okay, let's switch to the topic of public schools, uh, another topic that I know everybody's passionate about. Enrollment in Chicago public schools is down for the 11th year in a row. In that time, we've had major school closures, dozens under the previous administration. Those closures have disproportionately affected black and brown communities. There are still CPS vacancies for teachers and social workers. Students have experienced learning loss from the pandemic. Dr. Wilson, the first question goes to you. What is your plan to improve Chicago public schools? Well, my plan in, in is this here. Uh, unless you deal with um, crime, there's... No, nothing. Unless you deal with taxes, there's no nothing. My focus is on crime at the moment. Unless you deal with these politicians out here that says that they care about the city of Chicago and they're giving themselves automatic raises, something ain't right about that. Right? Unless you deal with the politician who takes and put themselves first, then it's, it's, it's no use trying to deal with the, with the rest. When people moving out of the city, don't want their kids to go to school, don't know whether they come home or not, it's continued to decrease. You got to take care of crime first. Then you can think about the budget. As I'm concerned, there is no budget unless you take care of crime and you do not defund police officers. 
Dr. Mm. Wilson, thank you for that. Uh, real quick before you jump in, Santita, mm -hmm. got to do a station ID. This is the Chicago Mayoral Forum on AMA 20 WCPT Willow Springs. Mr. Vallis, many civil rights advocates believe that the privatization of and the promotion of charter schools undercut the promise and the goals of the Brown v. Board of Education decision of 1954. You have called school choice, quote, the civil rights issue for our generation, close quote. How is that so? And would you push to further privatize Chicago public schools, or would you expand charter schools in Chicago, as you did in New Orleans and Philadelphia? Well, let me point out that charter schools are public schools. They're just public schools that <coughs> don't have unions. Money that donated Although the unions money. have the right to open charter schools. In Chicago, there are 60,000 kids who attend public schools, uh, uh, charter schools, and 96% of those children are black and Latino. So for black and Latino children, charter schools may offer the only alternatives to often failing, underperforming neighborhood schools. Let me also point out that the district is not allowed to allow those children to occupy public school buildings. The charter schools are not included in the Safe Passage program, and the charter schools have their enrollment capped, even high-performing charter schools. If that's not a civil rights issue, I don't know what is. Let me point out that when Gary Chico and I were running the Chicago Public Schools, our enrollment grew by almost 40,000. The only time the enrollment has grown since 1979, with the exception of two years. And we did more expansion of traditional public school choice rather than charter schools. I think I opened 18 charter schools overall. I believe education and school choice to be a civil right. I believe poor children should not be uh, uh, stuck in a failing school because of their zip code and because of their income. So Mr. that's why Vallis, I support charters. Your time is up. Mayor Lightfoot, um, in a second term, if enrollment in CPS, Chicago Public Schools, continues to decline, might there be a point where you'd feel compelled to close schools under budgetary pressure? Well, I, I think as most people recognize, the reasons for the decline in CPS population have a lot of things to do um, with outside forces beyond CPS's control and not CPS. Um, so first and foremost, this CPS, the city, our sister agencies, the private sector, we all have to work together. We have to work together to make sure that we repopulate those neighborhoods and bring our overall population back up to three million, which is what the city is built for. We also need to make sure that regardless of what the current circumstances are of those schools, we do what CER Martinez has said, which is we put a baseline in, particularly at the elementary school level, of <clears throat> art and music music and others, math and science, that's what we are working on and that is what is going to bring people back uh, to the neighborhood schools. I think the other thing that we have to focus on is the kids zero to five. And why that's important? Because kids need to come to kindergarten ready to learn. So we are working together as a city government real large to make sure that those kids and their families have the supports that they need, that there's an environment in which they can learn. Whether it's making sure that we got free Y-band, making sure that they are uh, fed and that we are catering to their economic needs, we have to think holistically about the whole system and not just when they get to CPS. Thank you, Mayor. Well, Congressman Garcia, if you become mayor, would you feel compelled to continue these school closures, or would you fight to keep them open or open more? As uh, 
a former uh, local school council member, perhaps the only one of the nine candidates, uh, I recognize that the shrinking of our student population in the public schools is a reflection of Chicago. We've been shrinking. Chicago needs to grow to be sustainable and to be a world-class city. Having said that, I think we have several issues before us, and then I will get to that subject. Uh, one is that we have a responsibility to try to find every child that has left the school system. How many don't we have any accounting for? And when we identify them, we need to bring them back provide services that they need, tremendous loss because of COVID, and these children are one casualty. Two, we've got to establish in our school system so that parents, students, and teachers feel confident that they can get the best education, and I say that as a stakeholder. Lastly, we need to improve the funding from Springfield, and I will work to, to increase the EBFF funding levels. They're essential. Springfield has shortchanged us for far too long, and we've got to reestablish that. On school closures, you have to engage deeply with the affected communities. That's the lesson from the last round of school closures. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. Commissioner Johnson, you clearly have the support of the Chicago Teachers Union, endorsements, money from them. Um, you've worked with them. How are you going to balance those ties with the obligation to oversee CPS as mayor? Well, again, no one has better incentive for on this stage for the city of Chicago to work, particularly its public schools, than someone who was actually sending their children to the Chicago public schools. I think I'll be the first mayor in recent history to actually have children in the public schools. Here's the second thing. Elected representative school board. We fought for it. We have it. We're going to be negotiating not just with an elected representative school board, the city council, the state, the state of Illinois, um, uh, the Congress. So it's going to take all of us because the politics of old has left us behind. Folks are arguing on this stage about, about uh, the public school system, and they're ignoring the fact that we actually have democracy in the city of Chicago for the first time in the history. And I fought for that. Look, the bottom line is this. The reason why we are experiencing peril right now, the type of budgetary decisions that were made in the 90s, in which the pension payments were stopped. That's why the, the budget is jacked up. I'm going to fix that. It's going to be better. Because we did not handle the budget decisions in the 90s. It's why people keep relying upon property taxes. I have a balanced budget that's better that will not raise property taxes. The way we actually improve the Chicago Public Schools is that we negotiate collectively together. The only person on this stage that has demonstrated that I can actually work with everyone. Thank you, Commissioner. Thank you, candidates. We're going to take a real quick uh, couple of minute commercial break. We will be right back. Welcome back to the WCBT 820 Chicago Mayoral Candidate Forum, moderated by Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Morningstar Inc., Roofers Local 11, Chicago Voice and Data Authority, East Lake Management, Chicago Teachers Union Local 1, and Oscar Isberian Rugs. And we are back. Uh, audience, if you could settle. Candidates who are visiting with people in the audience, please get back up here. Appreciate that. Um, we are going to begin this second half of our panel. Thank you, by the way, Santita. She'll be back again for the first half of the next panel. We're going to start by talking about the problem of the unhoused. This is a candidate for all of the, a question for all of the candidates. 
Um, one of our journalists at CPT, uh, Kate Lee Johnston, has reported on the unhoused population for us on Heartland Signal, um, talked about how especially extreme weather makes the problem of being unhoused particularly dangerous in Chicago. So for each of our panelists, a two-part question. What would you do to help the unhoused population, and would you support raising the real estate transfer tax on properties worth a million or more in order to get funding for some of these programs? Congressman Garcia, on this, we're starting with you. Thank you. The uh, growth in people who are unhoused in Chicago is very evident. It's near a viaduct uh, for most of us and in parks across the city. This is attributable, of course, to multiple uh, uh, causes, but uh, especially the shortage of housing and how unaffordable housing has become in Chicago. I say that as an urban planner trained at the University of Illinois at Chicago this century, I want you to know, uh, with a master's degree in that. Uh, among the solutions that uh, are required are investment in housing development in Chicago, affordable housing investment, uh, very important. I would use uh, infrastructure dollars. I would use tax increment financing dollars. I would use other city resources, including making loans and grants and heavily subsidized loans and grants to uh, increase the housing production in uh, Chicago. It's very, very uh, important and urgent. It is also critical uh, to build up the city, grow our population, and expand our tax base and make Chicago much more sustainable for the future. Same two questions to you, Mr. Vallis. Uh, yes. Well, first of all, I think you need to do a number of things. The first thing is you need to remove, you need to enforce the housing ordinances, the 40 affordable housing ordinances that are there, and you need to remove the obstacles to the creation of new housing. Pure and simple. The bureaucracy is, is strangling. Uh, the next thing you need to do is, is really you need to unleash these uh, apartment owners uh, to, in effect, convert uh, unused space or unimproved space to garden units. And there's been a lot of talk about doing that, but that could be done on a massive scale. When I talk to affordable housing groups, they all mention that that could create a like 100,000 additional units. In addition, there are 15,000 vacant buildings, residential buildings. The city needs to secure those buildings, bring them back online, turn them over to community-based developers, uh, community-based organizations, so that they can use those buildings. You need domestic shelters for women who have been abused. You need you need uh, reentry housing for individuals who are returning returning citizens, individuals who are returning from the correctional uh, from the correctional institutions. That's housing that's available too. And and then the, finally, uh, the one thing you've got to do is you've got to find a way to cap local property tax increases, individual property tax increase to protect against gentrification, because that's creating a that's, that's only increasing the homeless population. Uh, Dr. Wilson, also, what would you do to help the unhoused? But also, second part of the question, would you support raising the real estate transfer tax to fund some of these programs? A absolutely not. I wouldn't support raising taxes on nobody. How, how are you going to raise taxes and people still leaving the city of Chicago when people can't even go to the grocery store and buy eggs? Where are you going to get the, where are they going to get the money from? You know, you've got to balance your budget by, like i got to balance mine to my house. You know, the, the only answer that politicians basically can get is saying raise the taxes. You know, we, we in business don't do it that way. We have to balance our budget. 
and you have to balance those budget in order to make things meet, ends meet. Citizens today are sick and tired of taxing. I'm sick and tired of taxing, and I can afford to pay them, but I'm sick and tired of them. You know, <laughs> you got red light taxes. You got all these different kind of taxes. And the other thing about it too is that why in the heck are you gonna raise taxes on people and you're giving yourself a raise? That don't make no damn sense, right? At all. But but see, people gotta use common sense. I'm a business person. I think that way and I look that way. Stop raising taxes. Build affordable housing. That people Thank you, can. Dr. Wilson. I got to cut you off here. Commissioner Johnson. Yeah, so 65,623 people in the city of Chicago are unhoused. 20,000 of them are students. And I know what that looks like um, as a public school teacher. And just for the record, no one on this stage has released a budget plan. My budget plan is very simple. We reduce the structural deficit within the first, my first term, and we make critical investments. Yes, I believe in bringing Chicago home. Not only just making sure that we are raising the revenue to support people. That's what we're talking about. You have to invest in people. And, and not just making sure that we have affordable housing and a workforce development opportunity so that we can put the homes that are vacant and the vacant land back on the tax rolls and provide incentives like my wife and I have received, where we receive down payment assistance so that we can have a pathway to home ownership. Also believe in restoring public housing. Look, you can't call yourself a world-class city and you have people who are, are unhoused. We also have to address the fact that many families that are unhoused are experiencing mental health um, challenges. And that's why I am also a proponent of opening up mental health centers that are publicly funded and ran, because that's the way we get out of the struggle that we're in now. Thank you, Commissioner. You're welcome. Mayor Lightfoot. Look, there's a number of complicated reasons why people end up on the street. It could be financial. It could be mental health. It could be substance abuse or some combination of the above. And that also doesn't account for the number of people that are housing insecure that may not be living on the streets. So what we've done is, frankly, many of the things he said uh, we should do it. We're doing it right now. Number one, we've made the largest historic investment in affordability and affordable housing in the city's history. Number two, we've made the highest and most historic investments in homelessness services and including wraparound services. And by the way, um, as of the end of last year, we now have um, free mental health services in every one of our 77 neighborhoods, regardless of your ability to pay, regardless of insurance. We've also made historic investments in substance abuse and substance addiction, which gets at that issue. But fundamentally, what we must do is continue to meet these folks that are on the street where they are. We need to meet them with wraparound services. We need to increase the amount of shelters, um, uh, transitional housing, as well as no barrier shelters, which is what we have funded and done. This, this thing called the City of Chicago budget, Mr. Commissioner, that we have passed every four years, and it includes all of these supports for people that are homeless, unhoused, and have many other challenges that lead them to be on the street. Thank you, Mayor. I'd like to introduce Joan, Patty I Vasquez. Think, I think Mr. Commissioner is... Oh, okay. All right. Me. Feel, Mr. Feel, Commissioner, feel free, I, sir. absolutely right. I'm sorry. You're not the only one who's actually passed a budget. <laughs> we do that every year. Okay, let's get... Okay, well, uh, the commissioner, uh, 30 seconds to rebut. Yeah, look, the just housing ordinance is the first ordinance that I passed. 
when I became Cook County Commissioner. It eliminated discrimination against those who were formerly incarcerated seeking housing. I've built two affordable housing units in, in my first four years, and we broke ground on another one in my district. You know, look, the fact of the matter is that the federal government released millions of dollars to deal with this crisis. And the city of Chicago refused to actually invest those dollars. And the only reason why they exist now is because it's a carryover from the last budget. Thank you, Commissioner. And at least my budget is transparent, it's better, it's stronger, it's going to keep our city safe. Okay, Thank you. okay. Commissioner, you are out of time for your rebuttal. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Patty Vasquez, who is going to be my co-moderator for this second half. Patty, take it away. Just want to point out, the ladies' room was farther than the men's room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Joan. Uh, this is going to be on economic, develop economic development and growth. Uh, since peaking in 1950, Chicago has lost nearly 1 million residents. We are the slowest growing major city in the United States. Questions of economic development, education, and historic patterns of disinvestment have resulted in large racial wealth gaps. For each candidate, this question, what is your plan to grow and develop Chicago again, and how can you do so in an equitable manner? I'm going to begin with Mr. Vallis. Okay. Uh, look, um, you've got to create conditions for economic development. And if you don't have safe communities and you don't have quality schools, which I think we all agree we need to improve the quality of our schools, you're going to continue to have communities that are being underserved. But uh, what I've talked about and what I've posted about and what I've written about over the last four years is the need to create an infrastructure that will promote economic development on the south and west sides. And I basically promoted, uh, talked about three things. That's creating a specific independent economic development authority that can, in effect, drive economic development free from the politics of the fifth floor and the one-off projects, free of aldermanic privilege that can break through the red tape and get projects done, like David Doig is doing in the Rosen community. Second, it's about what I call fair share, taking a portion of the TIF monies and taking a portion of the gaming and the casino monies, taking a portion of, of the, the, putting the developer fees in an investment fund that can be used as a capital investment fund at the disposal of that authority. And third, going after the, the, the miles, the square miles of unimproved property that simply needs to be secured, remediated, and then smacked with 10-year property tax abatements and then prepped for development. Those three things would create an infrastructure structure for economic development on the south and west sides. Thank you, Mr. Vallis. Dr. Wilson, your answer. Um, I will uh, deal with economic development by dealing with crime, lower taxes, and expanding business, and making sure that we lower taxes so we can keep the business here and keep the people here, lower taxes so we can attract new business here as, as well. And making sure that getting rid of red light cameras, these other taxes, getting rid of head taxes, making it friendly to the, the uh, people to come and shop here, and, and make, making sure that we're sensitive to making sure that business, major corporation, is included with us when we make the decision. We will consult with all the businesses and give advice and things of that nature to make sure we get it right. We'll invest into our community in terms of investment uh, in those particular communities to make sure they draw. And the main thing is this here. If you keep raising taxes, if you don't deal with crime, people is not going to have a place called Chicago that they want to live in. Everything lynches on crime. Everything. 
Thank you, Dr. Wilson. Thank you. Commissioner Johnson? Yeah, the, one of the greatest things that you can ever do for a community is to make sure that there are W-2s available. That's what my father had. He raised all 10 of us in, in a house with one bathroom. So at least you know, as mayor of Chicago, you're going to have the best negotiator uh, that the city has ever experienced. You know, look, the, 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 the business of the city of Chicago is the education of the city of Chicago. We have to actually close the gap between graduation and job opportunities. Do you all know there are 30,000 vacancies just in manufacturing jobs alone? that we can actually fill today, but we have an opportunity with a better Chicago with someone who actually has taken this seriously. Look, I live in these disinvested communities, and people are struggling every single day to survive, and that's why the type of investments that are needed, you actually have to have a budget first. Look, without a budget and without a plan, nothing else matters. And so that's why, as Cook County Commissioner, we've increased our investments into workforce development, providing opportunities for not just individuals to grow, to experience opportunities in the trades, but actually to develop the vacancy that exists within the city of Chicago. And so this is ultimately going to attract more businesses in the city. Here's the last thing. Businesses want to be in Chicago. It's still Chicago, you all. But we don't have leadership that is prepared to actually invest in people. And that's what my plan does. Thank you. Mayor Lightfoot? What you have to do, obviously, is I think execute and continue uh, to execute with fidelity the plan that we put in place. Of course, public safety matters. But we talk to companies like Kellogg, like Clemily Clark, like the life sciences and pharmaceutical companies, all who have made the calculus to come to this great city. And, of course, they look at um, uh, public safety, but they also look at our incredible pipeline of talent. We have 200,000 undergrads and graduate students that are here every single year that are the pipeline and the workers for the jobs. And we have a diverse economy that is the strongest in the nation and has come roaring back from the pandemic. There's a reason why we are able to prepay our pension obligations to the tune of $242 million. is because our economy is strong. We exceeded projections in 21 and 22. Revenues are pouring back. Even our hospitality industry that took the biggest hit during the pandemic is seeing pre-pandemic levels. And yes, of course, we must pay attention to the downtown, but we can't continue to starve the neighborhoods, which is exactly why we have focused like a laser beam on things like Invest Southwest, use our recovery plan dollars to help those small businesses grow, retain their employees, and flourish in neighborhoods all over the state. Thank you, Mayor. Congressman Garcia. Critical to growing Chicago is addressing the safety issues that everyone agrees need to be addressed urgently, whether it's business leaders downtown or people in the neighborhoods. Critical to growing the city is working with business leaders in Chicago to ensure that our economic engines are firing full speed ahead. Business community needs to work with philanthropy, and Chicago is abundant and rich and generous in that regard, along with working with community developers. We also have a wonderful, wonderful group of cohorts that have developed community plans. They need to be implemented. They need to be well-resourced. The critical pieces for rebuilding Chicago lie at an agreement that finally there is a need for equity. And more and more business people have told me they recognize that. That's the lesson of pan the pandemic and the racial reckoning. Lastly, the resources are in the infrastructure law that brings $11 billion to Illinois. 
the Chips and Science Act manufacturing and the IRA, misnamed, but energy investments and fighting climate change to make Chicago resilient. Thank you. Uh, We're going to switch topics here to public transportation. Um, In terms of reliability and safety, Chicago's public transportation system hasn't really bounced back from the pandemic. I'd like each candidate to answer this question. What is your plan to improve public transportation in Chicago? Dr. Wilson, we start with you. Well, public transportation, people got to feel safe. People got to put police officer on the CTA, train line, and buses. People got to keep them clean. And again, people got to lower the fare in order to attract more people to ride to buses and CTA. All right? We will start with that. Number one, we'll make sure that all citizens that comes to the L or the bus, particularly the subway, that we have protection around them besides just saying police officer, uh, we use them versus the people that doesn't have a gun. You have to have people armed in order to protect the citizen. But you have to have an arm in order that people can feel safe. I'm not going to walk down the street with someone that don't carry a gun and feel safe. You know, that don't make sense. If I see a police officer and they ain't got an armed gun, I'm not going to be going up now in a certain neighborhood with that. You know, we would bring all that back and make sure people equipped to do it that way. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Johnson. Yeah, well, the reason why public transportation is um, we, we feel less safe is because it's unreliable. And that's why my plan calls for critical investments. Look, I rely upon public transportation. My family does. And when workers do not feel safe as well as those who ride, um, that, that's a problem. And part of it is because we're not listening to the people. Look, I mean, the, the fact that we do not have enough um, lanes for buses um, that would free up the type of congestion that we are experiencing that will allow, allow for more reliability is a, is a problem. But it is going to require critical investments. We also have to make sure that we're being collaborative. Every level of government has to participate in building a world-class city. And you can't have a world-class city if you don't have reliable public transportation. Here's the last thing. You know, as Cook County Commissioner, we brought Metro to the table and PACE to the table to demonstrate our ability to actually collaborate, to lower the fares, to provide opportunities, especially in the dead zone after 95th Street. CTA was not at the table. Under my administration, the CTA will be at the table, and we're going to listen to what the needs of the communities are. Thank you. Mayor Lightfoot. The CTA is always at the table with our partners. That's mandated by state law, but importantly, we all recognize that the collaboration across the various transit organizations is critical, not just for Chicago, but for the Chicagoland region, and I am a big believer in regionalism. Number one, the CTA obviously has to be safe, which is why, in listening to uh, the various unions um, at the CTA, the people that are on the front line, we put more armed resources in the Chicago police on the platforms, on the buses, 
and there's more work to do. Yes, we've increased also through the CTA the number of non-armed security officers, and we brought canine patrols back to the turnstiles because we know through data that the problems um, on the buses and the trains begin with somebody jumping the fare. But we also have to focus on not just the CTA, which is critically important. And by the way, red line extension for the first time since Red Richard J. Daly is actually going to be happening, and we got it done on my watch. But we also have to expand on the alternative modes of transportation. We have put more bike lanes in this city than ever before in history. We have looked at alternative modes like scooters. We're looking at electric vehicles and making sure that we've got charging stations for them. So we have to think holistically about what public transportation means and meet our passengers and customers where they are. Congressman Garcia. First, the elephant in the room. Congress kept the CTA and Metro functioning during the pandemic, and we gave the city $1.9 billion to keep the budget intact for the future. We need safe, clean, and reliable transportation. And I would hold those agencies accountable because their act needs to be cleaned up. People tell me stories about how the buses and the trains smell, what people are smoking, what people are doing when they board. That is keeping our ridership low. Secondly, really important that in the coming years, we convene the RTA members, those are the agencies, and have a serious conversation about how we maintain ridership, how people's practices have worked, and if people are coming back downtown or not, and what measures we will take. Lastly, I will say this. As the co-founder of the Futures of Transportation Caucus in Congress, we've been addressing these issues. We're going to have big challenges in addressing the projected budget deficits with CTA, RTA, all of the agencies in RTA. I will convene them because as a member of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, I understand the issues and some of the likely solutions in the coming years. Thank you. Mr. Vallis. Great. Well, well, first of all, I agree with much of what my colleagues said. Uh, Brendan's comments about interagency cooperation and Chewy's comments about taking a comment. By the way, you don't get rebuttal because he says something. <laughs> no, I know. This is okay. a compliment. Comprehensive approach. Okay. Um, but let's get at the core issue. Ridership is down, I don't know, is it a half a million uh, a day? It's, it's crime, crime, crime. Uh, we're paying $100 million for private security on CTA who can't arrest anybody, not to mention that they're not armed. And what are you getting paid? $15? an hour without benefits. Uh, with that amount of money, you could put another 300 police officers on the CTA and combine with the police officers that are already signed, and they're not necessarily dedicated as much as they are, like, working overtime or they're basically their free time. They're, you need a dedicated transit unit, uh, a transit unit of about 500 police officers who can walk the platforms, who can be at the stations, who can ride the trains like they do in New York, because the fare box has shrunk to 18 percent, According to a recent report in the paper, 18 percent of the operating budget, 18 percent, which means, as truly pointed out, when COVID is done, when COVID is out, they're going to be facing a catastrophic financial crisis. These are just facts. It begins and ends with public safety, not only for the riders, but for the workers. Thank you. We have a lightning round, a quick lightning round question for all the candidates. You'll have 15 seconds to answer and explain. If you were not able to vote for yourself among the candidates running, who would you vote for mayor? We're going to begin with Mayor Lightfoot. 
Well, I fully expect that I'm going to be not only ready, able, but I will be voting for myself, and I will be encouraging all of you to do the same. Four more years. Let's finish the job. Congressman Garcia. Since he isn't on this panel, I would probably say Cam Buckner. If you were on the panel, who knows? (laughs) Mr. Vallis. Because I anticipate working uh, with uh, uh, all of the people on this uh, floor. I'll tell you, the only person that I would not vote for is um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Dr. Wilson. I think I get it. Well, I I would vote for myself, and if I didn't vote for myself, I would um, create another name and vote for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Commissioner. That's not classy. Commissioner Johnson. Well, at least we know who everyone on this stage voted for four years ago. (laughs) That's right. Because they all supported the current mayor. Um, If I couldn't vote for myself, uh, then I'm going to, uh, I guess, uh, make sure that we vote for the people of Chicago because you all deserve a better city. Okay, we have one more lightning round question. Hopefully we'll get The the mayor would like to rebut on uh, being named several times in that lightning round. I will just say this. I I listen to Mr. Vallis many times, and what I feel like is I'm listening to a version of extreme makeover Paul Vallis edition. (laughs) Because he he doesn't know the facts, or he makes them up when they're not convenient, Um, And he doesn't um, tell the truth about his record. You mentioned Philly before. Mike Nutter, the mayor of Philly, when you were there, he may have welcomed you in, but he said he couldn't wait for you to leave. You didn't. There wasn't a dollar that you didn't spend multiple times. And we can hear the same from New Orleans and Bridgeport. So, Paul, you got to tell the truth about who you are and who you represent. Okay, go ahead, Joe. Uh, I think we got to get Paul. Yeah, do I get to respond? we got to get Paul 20 seconds. <laughs> yeah, let me respond. First of all, Mike Nutter wasn't the mayor. John Street was, so I defer to that. Secondly, if you want to ask the Landrew family, if you want to ask John Carville. I am. If, if you want to ask, if you want to ask Mitch Landrew and the Landrew family who brought me down to New Orleans and gave me the key to the city when I left, I think you'll get a different perspective. The bottom line is, what are we going to do about Chicago? And I only deal with the facts and you sat beside me in 40, 40 forums when we were running together, and the things that I said then are the same things I'm saying now. You just haven't learned anything. Okay, okay no more rebuttals. Yes. No more rebuttals here. Uh, one more quick question. This should be just as interesting as the last one here. Um, <laughs> look to your right, and for Mayor Lightfoot, we're going to have you uh, look to Commissioner Johnson. To, for the candidate to your right, can you say something... Anything that you admire about the candidate to your right. We are going to start with Commissioner Johnson. Well, I, you know, really, you know, I, I believe that um, Dr. Willie Wilson is one of the most sincerest individuals um, in all of the city of Chicago. Um, I like the fact I get a whole minute for this. this oh, by no, the clock okay, is wrong. This is going to get <laughs> the lightning round. This is going to get a little weird <laughs> if no, I keep going no, on and on. Made your uh, comment. No, you're but, done. But, but here's it's my okay. last. Here's my okay. last. I had three more seconds left. Okay. What I like most about Dr. Willie Wilson is that he is prepared to finally pay his fair share in taxes. <laughs> Dr. Wilson, you would uh, your what you admire about Paul Vallis. Well, I think it's fair that I say something about him. <laughs> it's up for grabs, folks. I, I, I did tell him I pay more taxes, but with it, uh, look, I'm in a 39% tax bracket. 
and my family and I give away 100% of every penny we make. Uh, we're giving away to Chicago millions and millions of dollars. Uh, and our opponents here, uh, I want him to pay his fair share of taxes, but donate to the community as well. Thank you. We will make sure he does. Now, Thanks, Dr. Wilson, I appreciate that. <laughs> can you say one thing you admire, admire about Mr. Vallis? Well, I mean, look, Paul is a nice guy. I like him. Okay, here's why. One thing, we have a lot in coming together. We bond together when he lost his son, and I lost a son, too. Uh, so, but I, I act uh, like everybody here. I just sometimes don't like different people's ways. But I, I, I think, look, Paul and I bond together. So I want you all to know that. I lost a son. He lost a son. We share those values together. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. Him. We appreciate that. Um, Mr. Vallis, uh, can you say something you admire about Congressman Garcia? Well, I've known Congressman Garcia for years, and I've never questioned his dedication to his to the community. I mean, you know, one of the daily said, either the first or second, he said, all politics is local. And I think Chewy has always understood that probably better than, you know, many of us uh, in this room. And so I've never questioned his integrity when it comes to delivering uh, to his community. I've, I've, I've never had any doubt that he is absolutely dedicated to his community. Thank you. Congressman Garcia, what do you admire about Mayor Lightfoot? The mayor is a history maker. And a proud one at that. Uh, she is the first uh, black woman to be elected and a proud member of the LGBTQ community. Thank you. Mayor Lightfoot, something you can say you admire about Commissioner Johnson. He spins a good story. <laughs> you can tell that he was a preacher's son. <laughs> you know, Mayor Lightfoot, my father is a carpenter and a pastor. It's a lot of pressure when your dad is just like Jesus. I I, I, and I, and, I, and you, for the you, record, I you've am. You mentioned that multiple times. Nice line, though. And my name nice is line. Jesus. <laughs> okay, Patty, take it away. <laughs> that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our first panel. C candidates, thank you so much for joining us and making this. Oh, uh, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute uh, before you run away. You each get one minute for oh, I'm our sorry. closing yes, statement. Yes, closing statement. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was, I was looking um, at my own thing. Yes. That's okay. Oh, we're going to give him a closing. I feel like we that was a closing statement. One minute statement. for a yes. closing statement. But rather than just any sort of generic statement, we want your closing statements to address this question. Forget about public safety for the time being. Name a policy or initiative you would make a top priority of your next administration. Commissioner Johnson. Yeah, so again, I believe the greatest way in which we can demonstrate that we love the city of Chicago is by investing in people, particularly our young people. You all, when we are seeing the reports of young people who are caught up in trauma and that manifestation of that trauma is showing out in the most dramatic ways. Look, I have children. And if this is manifesting the way it is, there's something deeply wrong about our society. We have to demonstrate that we actually believe and love young people. And that's why the policy position that I'm going to do on day one is that I'm going to hire young people. Whether you're 14, 15, 16 to 24, we're going to prioritize. And I know this is something that was just articulated to forget public safety, but there is a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. As a public school teacher, as an organizer, as a Cook County Commissioner, I've dedicated my life to service. I'm deeply humbled to be in a position to be able to run one of the largest economies in the world. 
Get me as your mayor. You're going to have a better, stronger economy that believes in people. Thank you. Dr. Wilson, one minute on what you would make a top priority when you're elected. Well, I want everybody to know that as you vote for me, my top priority is making the citizens safe. Top priority is making sure that we get good police force and people can feel comfortable again to Chicago. Top priority again is lowering taxes. I just don't think you can keep raising taxes and keep people here. Those are my top priorities. My last priority would be to say this to you, to pray for all of y'all. And to Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the people's here. Thank you for the radio station. Thank you for everyone's up here, even though we may not feel like one another and say different things, but we ask you to bless them. We ask you, dear Lord, to help us all and help us understand one another, be able to live together and be able to help one another because we're people. And our politics a different idea. In Jesus' name, we pray for his sakes. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Wilson. Mr. Vallis. The most important immediate priorities is clearly uh, public safety, community policing, returning the police to the beats. And that just includes not the street beats in the neighborhoods, but also the the beats on public transit, on the platforms at the train stations. That's critically important. Uh, Included in that has to be getting the schools in the public safety game. There's been 200 kids murdered since COVID. There's been a record increase in murders committed by out-of-school youth. We've got to open the campuses. We've got to create work studies. These campuses need to be open on the weekends, over the week, during the summer months, during the holidays, which is when the crime rate skyrockets. And the third thing is we've got to have a strategy for returning citizens. That means individuals that are returning from incarceration. And we really don't have a comprehensive strategy, a substantive strategy. And you can ask any of the aldermen whose populations in some cases are disproportionately high for returning citizens. So those are the three priorities that I think we can begin moving on right away. Congressman Garcia. I think America survived the insurrection in Washington, D.C., We came very close to a catastrophe. It showed the deep divide that exists in our country, but I think the elections last fall demonstrate that we are slowly bouncing back. Chicago is at a critical juncture in its history, and I think the next election will determine if we can regain our stature as a true, equitable, world-class city. As an urban planner and as someone who was shaped by Chicago and remain so grateful for everything that Chicago has offered me when I came here as a young boy, and I truly am living the American dream by being a member of Congress and seeking to become its mayor at this time, I want to champion comprehensive community development, working with the business community in Chicago. That is how we build the Chicago of the 21st century, a Chicago that offers everyone hope. Thank you, Congressman. Mayor Lightfoot. I want to begin by talking about um, the city that I know. The city I know isn't the one that's been described by some of the folks here. The city that I know Obviously, we have our challenges, public safety top among them, and it won't start to be, it will continue to be the priority. But the city that I know has many great things happening right now, every single day, across every neighborhood. The thing that we must do is make sure that we not forget that we are brothers and sisters, neighbors on this journey, and that when we are our strongest, when we solve 
decades of long problems is when we come together, roll up our sleeves, and say we're committed to working on these issues, public safety, mental health challenges, um, access to health care, the many things that we know are important for us to be a vibrant global city, we get that done by working together. I've seen it over and over again over these last four years, and I want to be your mayor for the next four to keep that work going. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Now, and Pat, can, now, we're done. now <laughs> our first panel candidates, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we are so grateful to our, our audience here today as well. We are uh, going back to the studio where Terry Ryder is holding down the fort for a 15-minute break, and then we'll be back here with the second panel. Thank you all so much again. You're listening to live, local, and progressive radio, WCPT. We are taking a pause because we are reassembling with a new panel for you to hear on the mayoral forum. It's going to pick up again in just a few moments. I'm Tori Ryder, anchoring here from the WCPT studios. Oh, my gosh. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and Tita Jackson asking all the questions that you want to hear answered. And if you have thoughts about the group of candidates you just heard or the group of candidates that you're going to hear, I will be here in studio when the forum concludes. And we will take your calls, your thoughts, your sentiments about the panel that uh, you heard and the panel you will hear. I have some notes, uh, some highlights I want to hear from you about. I also want to note, and kudos to, to Joan for wrangling uh, a group of politicians. You know, they don't they don't always cooperate. These folks were pretty obliging, but you'll notice that uh, when uh, Joan and Patty asked the final question and requested that there be no conversation about public safety, that they talk about things besides public safety, I'd say about 50% of that got got um, respected and the rest of it you know this is this is politics they're gonna go with their talking points you could you could ask them you know what time is it and some of these folks will go right to the thing and they have a reason for that so we can talk about why it is that everyone everyone is focusing on public safety. As we heard from David Axelrod, political consultant and commentator extraordinaire, that really is the main issue. And interestingly enough, each of the candidates with their specialty that they bring to the table has tied his or her specialty into the subject of public safety. As an example, Commissioner Johnson said, well, public safety really has to do with education. We all know that his candidacy is being supported with, I believe the sum was $400,000 in the Chicago Teachers Union. So he's going to link back to that Every time. Chewy Garcia, urban planning. He's going to link to that. Paul Vallis, budget. He's going to link to that. And to a certain extent, each one of those folks and Lori Lightfoot and uh, Willie Wilson, he wants to talk about increasing police presence, armed police for public safety. Lori Lightfoot wants to talk about the job that her police commissioner, uh, Commissioner Brown, is doing and how that will contribute to public safety. 
um, but they each want to bring their particular expertise and focus through that lens on, I think, what most Chicagoans would agree and people outside the city would consider to be the main difficulty before us. If you don't feel safe, you don't want to live here. You don't want to come here. You don't want to study here. That's the bottom line. You don't want to be in a place where you don't feel safe. And that can be construed to mean a lot of different things. But I think that what you're seeing here is that the candidates are very well aware. And they seem to be aware that that, that's their opening and how what lane they drive in. I mean, imagine an expressway where at the end you have a safe city. Each one of them has their lane to get to that safe city. So we'll be talking about that a little bit uh, after the second panel convenes and is questioned and is finished. Uh, And again, um, many kudos to to Joan, to Patty, to Santita, who it, it really is, you know, I'm not sure that the phrase herding cats is as graphic an illustration of what it's like to moderate a political forum or debate as herding politicians. I think I think you'd have an easier time training cats. It's just been my observation. And I believe are we going to have uh yes, we'll have a post game we'll get the details on on our post game celebrity commenter commentator in in a few moments as well. I also want to note for you that if you're just just scratching at your desk because you'd like to know what it looks like if you were there in the auditorium, um, you can watch the debate at Morningstar Auditorium on your computer or your phone. Heartland Signal is running a live feed on our Facebook link. And I'm. you can also follow the fine points on Heartland Signal's Twitter feed. But if you have any way to connect to social media and you just want to see, you know, maybe you want to see who's got the snappiest suit or the best haircut, or you just want to look them through a screen in the eyes and see how they comport themselves, you can follow the action on Facebook just Search for Heartland Signal in your Facebook search bar, and it will come right up. There's about a 20-second delay or so, but I, I would note for you that there's also closed captioning, which is not 100% reliable, by the way. Uh, it's it's AI-generated closed captions, so um, with people's accents... Southern accents, I noted. They had had a real problem. Um, But you can get the gist. My my thought would be put the sound up from WCPT and just out of the corner of your eye, take a peek if you you want to follow the the, uh, visual. Kind of like how if you watch baseball, sometimes you like the radio play-by-play. My spouse does this, puts the puts the screen up but listens to the radio. It's kind of like that. That's Radio is great about that. You actually hear the words coming out of their mouth, and you can actually judge for yourself. And I don't know if you feel this way about it, but I sometimes think that just listening and not looking can give you a different understanding of people's positions than being distracted a little bit by what they look like while they're saying it. Now, these folks that we just heard from, 
are are comfortable in front of cameras. They look they look great, but there are sometimes candidates who you know look a little nervous, look a little uncomfortable, and that often focuses people elsewhere. Like a sleight of hand, like a magician. You know, look at how they look and don't pay attention to what they're saying. With WCBT, Live Local and Progressive, you can really focus on their ideas. Uh, I believe it was um, candidate Vallis, Paul Vallis, who focused a lot of his um his conversation on revivifying buildings that are no longer in use in neighborhoods. Um, I'm trying, I will have to go over myself and, and look at my notes, but um, there was quite a bit of attention paid to those who are unhoused in Chicago and how we can begin providing services. Lots of people talked about folks returning from times being incarcerated and those citizens and what the city needs to do to address their needs. Lots of attention being given to mental health services as well. So it's um, speaking as a moderate to progressive Democrat. I'm glad to hear people discussing these problems, which are really real in the city of Chicago. I don't know if you follow uh, Block Club, but um, the city just cleared a whole bunch of houseless people off the Jefferson Park line, people who were staying there um, and their belongings. They had to leave with their belongings. It was a place where they could get warm. According to the article, there's not a lot of housing service available in that neighborhood for people who are unhoused. But I think one of the points that one might miss, and this is the kind of nitty gritty that these candidates are getting into in these conversations and why it's so important for you to be hearing from their lips what they want to do. One of the interviews that Block Club conducted in response to citizens complaining that there was human waste and people behaving, you know, in, in ways that were completely antisocial. One of the people who was unhoused said, it's one guy. It's one guy who, who really is the problem here. But people don't know it's just one guy. And so we all have to go. And that was the kind of insight that you might not have had if you weren't looking at this in a, in a close-up way. And I think some of these folks who are campaigning, I know that um, Commissioner Johnson made a, a big point of living in the city, having kids in public school, uh, living in under-resourced neighborhoods. Uh, it's, it's interesting to hear his perspective. Mayor Lightfoot, who definitely lives in the city of Chicago and at a somewhat of a remote, if I may say so, has had uh, crime make itself known on her block. Her detail, security detail, made a, an arrest that made a whole bunch of news not too long ago, and she has a different perspective about it. So, um, and, and Congressman Garcia, who, who talked about um, his experience studying for his advanced degree at the University of Illinois Chicago as an urban planner and also providing neighborhood service. One of the interesting questions that uh, um, people were asked uh, as part of the closing before they closed in a lightning round was if they could say something positive 
about their opponent to their right. Now, again, herding cats, they didn't all comply. But I think that I believe it was uh, Paul Vallis who said about Chuy Garcia, he has given community service to his constituency consistently. And uh, if I may interject, I think that's a a lot of what um, all of Chicago will be looking at is how have you served us so far? What have you done for us lately? And each candidate had something that he or she could point to to say, this is how I'm serving you. So there's going to be a lot that you can evaluate before you cast your ballot. And I'm going to I'm going to make a full disclosure here. I'm undecided in this one. I really thought that this candidate's forum would would confirm my leaning towards. But instead, it's just confused me more. It's not probably a nice thing for a talk show host to admit that now you're more confused. But it's true for me. It may be true for you. So many, it's good to have good choices. And I don't know if you feel like you have a lot of good choices, but I feel like we have several. Do you feel like we have some good choices? And sometimes, to use my safe city and an expressway heading there, sometimes you can take an alternate route and still end up in the same place. So some of these folks are offering suggestions and ideas that are not things that you may have considered that could make a difference. And now you're hearing them and you're thinking, ah, maybe that could work. Maybe that would make a difference in my neighborhood, in the schools, in my work opportunities, in my salary, in my taxes. Maybe you're thinking that you're hearing some ideas, perhaps for the first time, that really appeal to you. And again, after the second panel, when you've heaped your plate up even higher with good ideas, we can talk about some of those. And maybe, you know, if you could... You remember the, um, I guess it was the Mr. Potato Head, where you could put these ears on and these lips on and these eyes on. If you could sort of build your own candidate now, that's that's almost where I'm at. Let's see, I want one from column A and a little from column B. and uh, But you never get all of what you want. Anyone who's voted knows that. You never get everything. Anyone who's married knows that. Anyone who's had a date knows that. Unless you're still swiping right. Or swiping left. You're not going to get everything you want in your candidate. But you could, this time, get a lot of what you want. And I'm especially going to want to speak with you if you are if you are a worker in the city. If you work in one of these uh, unions, for example, that is supported by, uh, that is supporting a particular candidate. And I'd also like to know... And I'd like you to think about this if you can spare a moment. What do you do if your organization supports somebody you don't feel too fabulous about? I've had that happen before. Like, you're supporting who? You want what? (laughs) And it's true. You know, I'm a union member. I love my union. Um, They typically don't sign on for a particular candidate. But I've seen other people in real distress. They're loyal to their union. They support their union. This radio station supports labor. And sometimes 
um, you you go a different route than the organization that's supposed to represent you that does represent you in so many, many, many things. So that's another thing that we will be taking on and discussing. In a few moments, uh, we will be uh, seating our new panel. I think, are they coming up on the stage now? Is that what's what's happening? Not yet. And at that point, um, you will have an opportunity to hear the second half. And I'd also like to say it's pretty monumental what WCPT is doing here. If you don't mind us praising ourselves a little bit, we praise ourselves a little bit. A lot of candidate forums, you don't hear from everybody. And a lot of candidates for various offices will say, I'm a legit candidate. I got my petitions in. I got my all the signatures. I'm working hard. I'm out there knocking on doors. I'm handing out literature. I'm talking to the voters. And yet you don't let your your listeners hear from us. That doesn't happen here. Here on WCPT, you're going to hear from everybody. You're going to hear from even if you're supporting a candidate that that has a relatively small profile, a lower profile right now, your candidate's going to be heard today. And I think when you go out from wherever you're listening to this right now and you run into friends who say, I don't, I don't know what to I don't know who to vote. It's going to all be available after the fact. And you'll have a chance to say, you really want to hear from all the candidates. Let me send you to WCPT and you will be able to hear from all of them. If you want to invest just a couple of hours of your time, you will hear from everyone. I'm Tori Ryder in studio. In a few moments, we'll return to Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and Tita Jackson as we hear for the folks from the folks who are who are working hard to become Chicago's next mayor. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Welcome back to the WCBT 820 Chicago Mayoral Candidate Forum. Moderated by Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Morningstar Inc., Rovers Local 11, Chicago Voice and Data Authority, East Lake Management, Chicago Teachers Union Local 1, and Oscar Isberian Rugs. Thanks to Turi Ryder for holding down the fort at the studio at AM820 today. And we would like to welcome you once again to the WCPT Chicago Mayoral Forum. I am Joan Esposito. And I am joined by the lovely Santita Jackson, who not only does mornings on WCPT, but her show is actually syndicated. You can hear it in lots of other places. Um, thank you for clapping. Don't do it again. The, I want you to be quiet. Set, uh, silence your cell phones, please. We have cones of silence in the roof that will come down and cover you if your <laughs> phone starts going off, but we'd rather not use them. So um, we're going to try to get as many questions and answers as we can. So we'd like to um, not spend any time on audience reaction. I'd like to introduce our candidates right next to me here. You have Alderman Sophia King. Next to her, State Representative Cam Buckner. One more down, Alderman Roderick Sawyer. And uh, finally, last but not least, community activist Jamal Green. Thank you all for being here. Um, we are going to, these are, the, these are the rules we're going to be working under. 
We're going to do an opening statement. <clears throat> You'll each have two minutes for that. This is our lovely clock. When you run out of time, it turns red. Um, you have two minutes for an opening statement. Then Santita and I will start asking you questions. You will have 75 seconds to answer each question. <clears throat> if a candidate names another candidate by name, calls somebody out about something they don't like or something that they said or did, then that person um, gets 30 seconds to rebut. Um, just wave at me if you think I didn't notice that you were mentioned and you want to uh, have your 30 seconds for a rebuttal. We're going to try to keep it to time as much as possible. I will kind of cut you off if you run too far past your time. So um, let's get started with opening statements. Again, you get two minutes for this. The countdown is there. Alderman King. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Sophia King. <clears throat> I'm running for mayor uh, because I love the city. However, we're at a pivotal point. Uh, there's too much dissension between uh, this administration and, quite frankly, everyone. Um, the police, the teachers, my colleagues who are speaking with their feet. We definitely need a mayor who leads with collaboration and not confrontation. I've been able to show this over the last six and a half years as alderman where I led the fight for a $15 minimum wage that brought 400,000 people, mainly black and brown women, out of poverty. I'm also leading the former Michael Reese development, now called Bronzeville Lakefront, that shows that you can have uh, both the developers see an upside and the community see an upside with a $25 million commitment to schools, a commitment to 20% affordable housing on site. We also need a mayor who understands how how to represent the entire city. I represent from downtown to Hyde Park with Bronzeville in the middle, some of the best amenities in the city, uh, Grant Park, Soldier Field, Northerly Island, uh, Museum Campus, five times as much lakefront as anyone else. But the number one request I get, no matter where I am, is for more police presence. Now we know that police aren't the only response to this violence. We know that we need to put money into violence prevention, and that's why I have a plan to put hundreds of millions of dollars into violence violence prevention so that we're not here again. But we have to stop the false narratives that tear us apart, because I also understand, as you do, that we can both uplift the police and hold them accountable. We can have safety and justice. We can build our downtowns and build our neighborhoods. We can teach our kids about college as well as the trades. An equitable Chicago is a strong Chicago, and a strong Chicago is a safe Chicago. Thank you. Representative Buckner, your opening statement. Thank you, Joan, and thank you, WCPT, for um, allowing us the space to do this today. And I'll start off by saying uh, it's an honor to be on the ideas panel and not the insults panel. We'll be a little bit better uh, with this group of folks. <laughs> My name is Cam Buckner. Uh, I am a son of Chicago, born and raised in this city. Uh, I played in Chicago parks. I went to Chicago public schools. I graduated, uh, left for college, came back for law school, and I now represent Chicago and Chicagoans north to south from the Gold Coast to South Shore and the Illinois General Assembly. I'm the son of a teacher, 33 years, and the son of a Chicago, of a uh, law enforcement officer in the city of Chicago, 27 years. Uh, I come from a family where public service is the rent that we pay to be here in this city, and I'm trying to continue that tradition. 
uh, as the past immediate chair of the Illinois House Legislative Black Caucus, I help usher in monumental legislation, sweeping criminal justice reform, the most comprehensive and consequential clean energy legislation in the history of this country, and fighting the gun lobby tooth and nail, not once but twice, to be the lead sponsor on the bill to ban unserialized, untraceable ghost guns from our streets and the ban on assault weapons just a few weeks ago. Listen, my mother came to Chicago in 1955. She moved here from a small town in the Mississippi Delta, uh, and my grandparents decided to leave because in August of 1955, Emmett Till was murdered, lynched, brutalized, and thrown in the Tallahatchie River in the town next door to where my mom grew up at. My grandparents came here for safety and opportunity. We need to be able to provide the same safety opportunity to the young people in Chicago, like my son, like your children, if we're going to make the city the best version of itself. Thank you. Alderman Sawyer. Thank you very much, and good afternoon, Chicagoans. I realized over my 12 years of service uh, on the city council, a lot of you may not know me, but you may know some of the things that I've uh, done as a leader on the council. When you notice that there are no more parking meter deals in Chicago anymore, that was something that I led uh, many years in fighting that to make sure that we never have that again. When we talk about expansion of the mid-sized business initiative and small business initiative, that is something that I led on and sponsored uh, years ago, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, my resolution was used to negotiate the FOP contract that I entered not once, but twice. I entered in 2016 and again, right before the negotiation of the contract. Something again I led on. The original Fight for 15, I was part of a small group that initiated that. I see one of my colleagues in the room as well. Uh, where we started that fight uh, with ending uh, later on, we're very proud of. And also the most sweeping police reform probably in the country right now with the Empowering Communities for Public Safety. And that's about me of my accomplishments. But more importantly, the thing you sh I think you should know about me is that I'm the person that is able and has proven to bring opposing forces together because I bring them together in the interests that we have all in common. And that's for a better Chicago. A better Chicago not just for us, but for the next generation. So I want to be that person that can help the city that can heal the city, that can share resources with the city, with the intention on making a much greater city than we even have now. And we do have a great city, a world-class city. But as mayor, my goal is to make it that much better, that more serviceable and approachable, making sure that everybody gets the service that they deserve. And I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you. Mr. Green, your opening statement. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, you know, I'm running for mayor. My name is Jay Maul Green, and I'm running for mayor because I want to fulfill Chicago's promise. And I'm tired of politicians using this seat as an ego project and not to make an impact on all of Chicago. I'm from the South Side. My mother, a single mother who been at the post office 35 years. My grandmother was at the post office for 41. So I come from a working class family. And she did everything that she could to provide us with the best life um, that we can have. Um, but that came with living in a neighborhood that was very impoverished, that came with living in a neighborhood where I saw many folks being shot in front of me, that came with looking out my window and seeing shootouts, uh, um, you know, in front of our house, 
that came with going to public schools, several public schools that didn't have the resources to be able uh, to give the attention to students and uh, make sure that there were counselors and wraparound services for a lot of the students that are in need. And all of those experiences made me an organizer, made me an organizer to fight against the establishment whether it was for Laquan McDonald, who was shot 16 times by police, or whether it was for small businesses that were looted and we gave out a quarter of a million dollars to get them back open, or whether it was Chase Bank when they redlined the south and west sides and no politician stood with me in fighting the largest bank in the world, and we made them give a billion dollars back to the south and west sides of Chicago. I'm here, and I'm running for mayor because it's time for someone that's ready to make an impact on the next generation of Chicago is going to move forward a plan to really bring the whole city together and make the next generation of Chicago, uh, you know, make Chicago a better city for the next generation of Chicago. I'm a father of three boys, raising them in public schools. Uh, and we need a mayor who really is going to invest in every neighborhood and make sure that no matter the neighborhood, no matter the income status, no matter their background, you have the opportunity to grow and thrive all throughout the city of Chicago. And that's where I'm running. Once again, we welcome all of you to this panel. Thank you for being here. This question is for Alderman King. One of your answers to a staffing shortage of police officers is a pledge to hire up to 1,000 retired Chicago Police Department officers for less dangerous duties. How would you convince these former retired officers to leave retirement, and where would you get the money? If you could expound upon what you would want them to do. Great. Great question. I'd be happy to. Uh, So first of all, um, we have the money. We have over 1,700 positions that we need to fill in the police department. So that's that particular answer. Other big cities uh, call on reserves or retired officers. New York has 4,000 retired officers. Our retired officers are already working other jobs. Uh, They would love to come back. Some of them age out. uh, So I would incentivize them coming back. It'd be part-time work. Uh, we'd fill them in less dangerous places like our detectives. Our clearance rates, uh, despite what the mayor says, are some of the lowest in the country. Um, and the disparity is even lower when you get to black and brown communities. So detective roles, they could go come back in times of surge. So when we have uh, festivals or other things that are going on in the city, you'd call on your reserves so that you don't have to pull um, your officers from the communities that they're protecting. Um, And like I said, police are part of the solution, but they're not the only solution. They are our brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts, so they're part of our community and we need them as part of the solution, but we also have to get to some of the root causes. But that's what I would do with the reserve. Thank you. Um, Representative Buckner, you've made a similar pledge to eliminate the officer deficit. You say you're going to do it in your first two years in office. How exactly are you going to hire these 1,700 new officers, especially since there seems to be a nationwide staffing shortage? So first off, uh, all of the folks who are filling those roles do not have to be um, sworn officers. Uh, What I've talked about a lot in my plan is the civilianization of certain functions of CPD. Uh, There was an article that came out recently about folks who have to register people who have been on a registry for gun crimes or for other crimes. Uh, the people who are doing that work today are detectives. But the fact of the matter is that our clearance rate is dismal. It's abysmal. It continues to drop. 
So when we need people on the street actually solving crimes, we should put people, people in those roles. I've also talked about making sure that we have a robust mental health responder model within CPD, meaning that we are not sending an officer with a gun and a badge to talk to a person who has said that they're having a schizophrenic episode. We've seen this happen way too often in our society, in this city, and we've got to do something different. It's making sure that we have the apparatus in place uh, throughout CPD, moving around resources and making sure that we are um, finding ways to keep our people safe uh, without re-traumatizing them based on years and years of what has happened with this department and specifically communities of color. Alderman Sawyer, in your public safety plan, you state that Chicago has nearly tripled per capita police spending since 1964. In that same time, the clearance rate on many crimes has fallen as police have had to take on more duties. Are we spending too much on the police in Chicago? What's the remedy? I don't think we're necessarily spending too much. We spend too much in too many bad places. And I think that we need to, when we talk about resetting and refocusing, we want to make sure that resources are getting to citizens as quickly as possible. When you call 911, you expect somebody to respond. Now, I agree with my colleagues, for example. We can have other people respond to that call, provided that you're not in a life-threatening situation. If you're not, say your car got stolen and you called 911, somebody should respond to you and should respond to you timely. But back to you, we want to make sure that we can reallocate certain areas to non-police roles, promote those police from within, get them to where they need to be, get them the resources and education necessary to move up to detective, and incorporate our plan again, which I, I am proud to say that we've implemented. You'll be voting on this uh, upcoming election using that community police model where we can reestablish that trust between the community and the police, where we can uh, increase those clearance rates because people know what happened. We have to get that information from them, and that means we have to have effective detective work in addition to protection for those witnesses, which is also, I, I hate to be redundant, I have also a gun violence prevention ordinance that includes a witness protection program that's currently in city council. So we have to do all those things in order to increase that clearance rate and also make sure that we have proper staffing levels on all levels. Okay, Alderman Sawyer, I have to cut you off sorry, there. Sorry. Um, Mr. Green. You unveiled a comprehensive public safety plan that you said would cost about $5 billion. The current administration is already struggling to find funds to fund public safety initiatives. Um, you probably won't even have the millions of federal dollars that have come through recently because of COVID and other things. So as mayor, how do you get $5 billion for your plan, and how would you get it through city council? Well, l let me just say that the price tag goes over all different departments. It's not fully the public safety budget. So a part of public safety is what we did was we made it to where we're not just talking about police when it comes to public safety. We cannot continue to increase the police budget year after year and not get any results. We must make sure that people are centered and people are first. It makes no sense that yesterday they unveiled a $170 million police academy. And then right in a police academy, they said, oh, we're going to give a, a section of it for young people to come after school. Young people deserve real investment, and they deserve their own community centers. They deserve after-school programming. They deserve trade and tech hubs. They deserve to be able to have an apprenticeship and a job opportunity. We must invest in young people if we ever want to get out of the crisis that we're in, uh, and that's what our plan does. So we put everything together from housing. We talked about using our bonded capacity so that we can back 10,000 home loans to repopulate the neighborhoods. We talked about incentivizing uh, um, so that 
we can create an uh, affordable housing uh, throughout and increase our affordable housing supply in record time. And we also talked about a public bank in the city of Chicago. Bank of North Dakota did it. We can have a, a bank charter that invests back in the people and all that money comes back, goes right back into city services instead of prisons like our, our, our larger banks. You have all said that you would replace Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown. Why would you replace him? And in your administration, who would be the superintendent? Let me start with you, Representative Buckner. Thank you for the question, Santita. So, listen, all of us have jobs where we're accountable to the people who we work for and with, uh, and we have metrics and rubrics by which we are graded. The truth of the matter is that in Chicago, the murder rate, the violent crime rate is way too high, and the clearance rate is way too low. The truth of the matter is that the rift between CPD's top brass and the rank and file officers is worse than I've ever seen it. And what also is true is that communities and police have not found a better way to get along under the leadership of this mayor and this superintendent. We can't continue to do the same thing and look for and uh, expect different results. In my state representative district, I represent five different police districts. So I talk to beat cops every day, cap sergeants every day, lieutenants every day, district commanders and deputy chiefs every single day. CPD has the talent in the pipeline of people who know this city, who know the department, and who know what we need to do to move forward. We've just got to give them the, uh, the power to, and the ability uh, to do it in a way that we can be the best city in the nation when it comes to constitutional community policing, and David Brown is not the person to do it, and Lori Lightfoot is not the person to lead that fight. Alderman Sawyer, your answer? Yes. <clears throat> this is a situation as it relates to the superintendent that, one, we want to go in a direction, a new direction. Two, the person we're really trying to remove is the real superintendent, which is the mayor. The mayor has been micromanaging the police department for far too long. I am not a police officer. I have not been trained. I have not studied, with the exception of limited classes I've taken at the police department. I want to make sure that we use our, public, our community commission that we have in place to select an appropriate person, a person that has this uh, respect of the rank and file, the person that has gone up through the system, someone that knows policing, that can advise me on going forward the proper protocol, proper scheduling, proper staffing levels. You know, how do we uh, apprehend criminals, you know, within constitutional bounds? I just don't think that Superintendent David Brown is that person because, quite honestly, he has been co-opted by the mayor and he's not been able to do his own decisions. I had looked at David Brown's career in Dallas when he was down there, and when I looked at it, quite honestly, I was impressed. We did not get the same David Brown here that they had down there. And we want a real live superintendent that can do the job, that can advise the mayor, he can advise me on how to get things done, and that's what will happen under a Sawyer administration. Mr. Green? Well, let, let me say I disagree with Alderman Sawyer. His record in Dallas is why Dallas hates him. Uh, and so, you know, the reality of the situation uh, is that we need a new superintendent who's from Chicago who really cares about what's going on in the communities. There's, It's kind of night and day. I don't care what many people have to say about the last superintendent, Eddie Johnson, but the night and day difference is that Eddie Johnson was very passionate about being connected to the neighborhoods and to the stakeholders. 
stakeholders around the city. That's the difference that we have here. This superintendent, um, you know, you barely see him in the community at all. And no one in the community even knows how to even reach anybody uh, uh, in in headquarters, uh, let alone any, anybody close to him. Um, so we need somebody that's passionate about the neighborhoods, somebody who really understands the neighborhoods as well uh, and is going to work with all of the stakeholders throughout the city to make this city safer. Uh, and in my view, David Brown is just not that guy. Who would be that guy? Well, you know, I, I think that once again, you know, we need to really look at who can have the trust of the people and the rank and file. Um, a commission has been put in place um, that we must listen to, uh, and we need to take their recommendations uh, and then look to see who will be best fit for that role. But, um, you know, I have ideas, but I'm not going to put them out here there right now. Well, I just <laughs> Alderman Sawyer, you wanted a quick rebuttal there? Well, just, just to clarify, uh, the information that I received was a combination of information I saw on on the internet and talking to quite a few Dallas police officers who felt that he was doing a good job there, not here. Okay. Hmm. Alderman King. So, you know, it's not, it's not personal. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, Superintendent, thank you. Mike check. Mike yeah. check, one, two, but my time... Could you start her time over again? <laughs> I'd like to reclaim my time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when, when you're ready. You go. go ahead. Okay. So, so it's not personal. You know, I, I'm sure Superintendent Brown is, is a lovely guy. And when I talk to him, you know, he's very respectful. Um, you know, but the reality is that arrests are down 75%. Uh, clearance rates are down. Uh, and the police just aren't working for this uh, superintendent nor for this mayor. And, you know, we need somebody who can come in and kind of do a sea change. Um, we can have more police in the communities where they're needed right now. I've floated this plan. The mayor should be stealing it. The superintendent should be stealing it, where you go from a 40-week, four-day-on, three-day-off work week, which gives us up to 50%, listen, 50% more officers in the communities, in all communities where they need it. We need this right now, and the fact that they're not even implementing that, we do it in the 5th District, so it's not... Uh, you know, they do it in other cities. Officers get the time off, the three days, the rest that they need, the mental health repair that they need. Uh, it's not. So with this superintendent, I just think he doesn't understand the city um, and we need a sea change. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move on to the topic of small business. We want to ask all the candidates this question. What would you do to ensure that women and minority-owned small businesses have a chance to thrive in Chicago? Particularly, how would you address issues around access to capital for some and for others, a fair and open process for city contracts? Alderman Sawyer, we're going to start with you. Thank you. Uh, in my opening, I did kind of mention this earlier. Uh, I did help create the mid-sized and small business initiatives in the procurement department. And what that is, is that that gives minority and women-owned businesses an opportunity to compete among similar factions. So larger groups don't come in and just swoop up all of the contracts that are available. Uh, the small business initiative is under $2 million. You can bid on those, only those contractors that are in that space. So minorities and women only can bid, and they bid as primes. Same with the mid-sized business initiative. It's between 2 and $10 million. You bid with each other on similar interests and similar size companies. Larger companies cannot come in and just engulf all of, this, all of the space there. And again, you're bidding as primes. That way you're getting prime experience, you're getting prime credit, and you're, you're, obviously, and you're making money 
uh, without having people in larger groups take, you know, a bulk of your money away from you. So with that, I want to make sure that access. I've also instituted or made ordinances about removing caps, about uh, eliminating the public uh, personal net worth, because all this does is create mediocrity. It doesn't create an opportunity for you to reinvest in your business, grow your business, and make it larger, because once you get too large, they kick you out the program, and then where you go. Thank you. Mr. Green. Well, you need somebody that really understands business in this role to even talk about it uh, on several of them. Uh, and one of the biggest problems, and I just had a meeting uh, with the governor uh, not too long ago uh, about this fact, right? When you look at the state contracts and the percentage that are going to minorities, it's abysmal. All right. And the number uh, has not changed since he's been a governor. Uh, And we got to talk to him about how we're going to do better in that that right, as well as in the city. First thing first, I want to talk about our small businesses. Every first business license should be free, right? We need to make it to where um, they they understand that that we appreciate them for creating opportunities in our communities. And those folks who have first dibs to that will be the folks who have roots in those communities. Um, we also must streamline the process of uh, licensing, permitting, uh, and zoning in the city of Chicago so we can make it easier to open up a business. It shouldn't take months and months and months to open up a business in the city of Chicago. Um, small, a lot of small business owners can't take that. We got to hold the city accountable. So if you say you coming in for an inspection and then you you don't they don't know whenever you're gonna they don't know when you're gonna come, that's a problem, right? It hurts those businesses. So we're gonna have accountability on the city level. And then as far as contracting, we got to be intentional about making sure um, that we remove the barriers when it comes to contracting. If, if small uh, contractors can't get Mr. Green, bonding or insurance, we need to insure them. We got to step in and we got to remove the barriers. Alderman King. I'll pick up where he left off. Um, (laughs) Being intentional is super important. Inequity did not happen um, in a vacuum, and so you have to be strategic uh, about making sure that true equity happens. Um, Data is very important to that. Uh, Mama always said, follow the money. Uh, When I first came in as a city council member, I followed the money. But the data isn't there. Um, So now if you look at our budget books, every single budget now shows by demographics where our billions of dollars of money is spent. And unfortunately, and quite ashamedly, under this administration, contracts are down for African Americans and they're down for women. Um, so you have to put your money where your mouth is. Um, and so that's something that we need to do immediately. Um, and it hasn't really been done since Harold Washington. We haven't been uh, had a robust, equitable distribution of contracts in the city. And this is wrong in a city that celebrates 60% uh, people of color. Uh, and their return on investment is green. And it's or less, uh, that's wrong. So we have to know where the data is, uh, figure out what our baseline is, and seek to increase that every year. Um, Representative Buckner. Chicago is the home of the American labor movement, yet our city government does not have a robust labor department. We have uh, an office within uh, the Office of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection that does some labor work, uh, but it's not enough. I've talked about doing the work to stand up an actual labor department that can uh, help move this along when it comes to small businesses. Uh, we will set up and institute bad business fees for folks who aren't doing things the right way, but also um, giving folks the technical experience and the opportunity to grow their businesses. Uh, we will re- revamp the business enterprise system here uh, in, in Chicago. 
Uh, we'll make sure that it's doing exactly what it's supposed to do and that people aren't finding loopholes uh, to take advantage of it because equity requires specificity, and we know that. We'll also make sure that financial institutions who are doing work with the city are actually showing their work. And if they are not um, lending in a way that helps this city grow in an equitable way, we have to cut our contracts with them and stop doing business with them. That's how we bring this all together. That's how we take the appropriate steps uh, to move Chicago to be the most uh, equitable economic city in this entire country. And, Joan, we move on to ethics reform. I think that we all agree that we need to have our ethics strengthened, and we do need reforms in many areas. Each one of you, I'd like to ask you, in your first four years as mayor, could you tell us one ethics reform that you would, to which you would commit? Let me start with you, Mr. Green. Hmm. I got a lot of them. Um, you know, I think that one of the pieces that must be done by this mayor is we must amend the automatic prerogative. Um, you know, I think what's been happening is, you know, in, in the city of Chicago is you have a lot of aldermen that are uh, holding on to land, um, which is causing, um, you know, and the reasons why, obviously, we know uh, when we look at some of the indictments that are coming down, um, we got to really step in uh, and really do something when it go- in regards to automatic prerogative, um, because it is a real problem. We got tens of thousands of pieces of land that needs to get out and get developed and it's really hurt neighborhoods. Hmm. Alderman King. Wow. Coming after that. Um, I don't look good in orange or black and white, by the way. Um, I, I'd like to push back on that narrative, which is a false narrative that uh, this mayor has promulgated from day one when she looked back at us after her inauguration and basically said, you know, you're no good. Um, there's a lot of public servants in the city who do a lot of good things. Um, and I think it's a power grab just trying to bring everything to the central government um, and to we need to go back to kind of a decentralized government. We don't have to go that back back that far to show that corruption exists in administration, silver shovel, all kinds of things. It comes down to individual people. Again, we can't lead our narratives by these false, you know, fringe uh, opportunities. We have to lead our narratives by good people in our city. And most of the people who are public servants are doing really good things in our city. Uh, without aldermanic prerogative, we would have had a casino right in the middle of Bronzeville which was a non-starter. My community did not want a casino. It was planned to be there. But because aldermanic prerogative, or as I like to see it, the voice of the community who elected me, I chose to use that voice to fight against city council. So we have to think about how we, we um, address this issue, and I think we're doing it on the fringe. That was her rebuttal to you. I, you don't get a second rebuttal. Uh, so we're going to move on. Go ahead, Senator. We have Representative Buckner. Yeah, so one of the things that we have to deal with immediately, and we're seeing it right now in a very contemporaneous way, uh, is that we have a campaign contribution issue. We have to change the way campaign finance works in this city, whether we're talking about cryptocurrency or casinos. We've seen uh, connections between folks who are running for mayor or folks who are mayor uh, and bad uh, contribution investments that are really fly in the face of what the people of Chicago want. Um, listen, when it comes to automatic prerogative, uh, the mayor has talked a lot about that specific issue because she wants to distract people from 
what an out-of-control mayor looks like. She wants to talk about the city council when she should be talking about what's happening on the fifth floor. I have pushed and committed to real city council reform, making city council a true legislative body, letting them pick their own leadership, pick their own committee chairs, and have their own parliamentarian so that the people of Chicago can have a functioning government, which we do not have today. Hmm. Alderman Sawyer. Wow, uh, just um, that's what I was about to say. It's funny that they say that, <laughs> but you. no, but we, talk, we actually talk about this a lot, so it, it is interesting. But one of the first things I would do that we talk about as ethics reform is on day one, I want to give my colleague, preferably, uh, a, a bill to take to Springfield to limit the terms in for mayor to two terms. <laughs> <laughs> just, just my guy. I love him to death. But I, I do that. I, I want to do that. I think that's a sign that as a leader, we should, you know, acknowledge that executives should not try to stay in, in office forever. There should be a two-term limit or whatever the limit that the legislature and I can, we can work on it together. It should be a limit. And that shows leadership by example. I agree with Cam as related to the, uh, uh, the council structure. It makes no sense. You know, we learned this in seventh grade ethics in uh, civics class. The chief executive doesn't run the legislative branch. You know, the mayor should not be running the council. The council should pick their own president, should pick their leader, should pick their committees, like, like Cam stated, absolutely. We talk about it all the time in council. We, the last two times, I brought it up, and I kept getting shut down. So it is something that we should do, something that is pertinent, and I think it's extremely ethical, and I think you'll get better leadership out of these combination of reforms. I'll do it for you, I promise. <laughs> uh, thank you, panelists. We're going to take a real quick, probably three-minute commercial break. You can uh, take a little bit of water. Thank you, Santita. It has been a delight working with you when we come back from our commercial break. Uh, Patty Vasquez is going to be joining us here, so uh, we're going to throw it back to the studio now. This is Chicago's Progressive Talk, 820 AM, WCPT Willow Springs, and online at WCPT820.com, where facts matter. Welcome back to the WCPT 820 Chicago Mayoral Candidate Forum, moderated by Joan Esposito, Santita Jackson, and Patty Vasquez. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Morningstar Inc., Rover's Local 11, Chicago Voice and Data Authority, East Lake Management, Chicago Teachers Union Local 1, and Oscar Isberian Rugs. Welcome back, everyone. I am Joan Esposito. This is the WCPT Chicago <gasps> Mayoral Forum. Um, I'm now joined by Patty Vasquez for round two of our panel. Uh, let's get right to it. Patty, get started. Thank you so much, Joan. Uh, reported predominantly... If we could take a moment, I just want to make sure everything's okay over here. She's everything's okay. good. Excellent. Uh, as uh, reported predominantly by Greg Pratt in the Chicago Tribune, many Lightfoot critics have said the mayor is using her Invest Southwest program simply as a marketing tool. Is she claiming too much credit? And would you continue the program if elected mayor? So this is going to be for everyone. I'm going to begin with Alderman King. So, yes, um, as reported phenomenally by uh, Greg Pratt. Um, it, it's really a lot of smoke and mirrors. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, the mayor understands she needs African-American votes, and she's pandering to the African-American community. Unfortunately, every project that's in my ward uh, that she's included in her books are things that her administration had nothing to do with. Um, you can talk about 4400 Grove or 
5080's Pershing or the CIBC bank that's there or the Millhouse development or Bella Noir, all of these I was intimately involved in. And I don't mind sharing the credit. Mayors definitely take credit of, you know, projects that go on. So, but I think it's a lack of collaboration because on 80% of those projects, uh, her administration pushed back in certain ways. You know, if there are projects that we brought, then, you know, there wasn't this type of collaboration and the resources weren't flowing. But if, you know, projects are ideas of theirs, then, you know, that would flow. And, and again, you know, as Alderman, I represent the voice of my community, which is why I would work with the 50 aldermen, including my colleague up here as a city council or as a mayor, um, because they understand Thank you. where, what the people think. Thank you so much. And then Representative Buck. The way that Invest Southwest has been rolled out uh, is nothing more than a glorified public relations stunt. Uh, built around election year and built on the fears of the people of Chicago and the fact that we have been disinvested in communities like the one I live in and the one I grew up in for generations. And, and shame on the mayor uh, for, for what she's doing. Uh, listen, the, the most investment that she has really put in any of these communities is the Cop Academy on the west side. And that has not helped anybody and won't help anybody uh, who looks like me from a community uh, like that. Listen, we, we know that this was uh, many of these these uh, projects were Rami Manual projects. And what the mayor has done, I've heard people call it plagiarism. I've heard people call it stealing. I think the young young kids call it swagger jacking. Like she took it, right? Um, and the truth of the matter is that if we do real investment in our city, uh, we will see a population boom. We'll see people come back. But as of right now, uh, Invest Southwest has only uh, made it worse as people continue to leave Chicago, specifically black people. They're not investing Southwest. They're going south by Southwest and moving to Georgia and Texas. Thank you so much. Alderman Sawyer? Yes. In response to the, uh, the question, I would use a variation of the program, and I would thank the person that started it, which was Rahm Emanuel. Uh, it's, this is the situation. When, when mayors come in and she's got a project, uh, he, he had a project, the mayor came in with the new administration, she saw it, and she made some adjustments to it and made some, you know, moved some uh, pebbles around and, and claimed it as her own. Take credit. I mean, give credit where credit is due. It was a decent program, needed some upgrading. This is not a horrible program, but it needs a lot of upgrading. That's the thing about it. You know, the, the, the premise of the program is taking money from larger developers, spreading it out to others to give them an opportunity to thrive. You know, it was it used to be called Retail Thrive Zones. Now it's Invest Southwest. You know, maybe I'll call it something else. But, you know, the, the, but the important part is we have to figure out a real way to get investment to small business owners so that they can expand expand, start, or grow a business in our neighborhoods. Each one of our neighborhoods should be self-sustaining. That means everybody should have pretty much the same things. We all should have eateries. We all should have professional services. We should all have uh, all the you know, kids' you know, places to, to play, jamborees and things as a matter. But this program is not the program that does it. We have to do better. Thank you. Mr. Green? Well, you know, I agree that Invest Southwest is, is nothing but um, – politics right every time they get up there they say oh we got 1.8 billion dollars we invested and everybody in the community start looking around and say where you know uh it's all politics and and at the end of the day what really needs to happen is we really need to sit communities down all throughout this city and really build a quality of life plan and figure out what that looks like you know, I work closely with a good friend of mine, David Doig, and Chicago Neighborhood Initiatives out in Pullman. 
in 10 year span, they brought uh, jobs, right? It started with a Walmart, made Walmart give 60% of the jobs to 60628, right? They brought Whole Foods Distribution Center. They brought SC Johnson. They brought in Amazon. Then they said kids need somewhere to go. They built a, a youth center. Then they, they, they built all, I mean, uh, they took, bought all of the row houses and sold them affordably at $140,000 so that everybody that was working in those jobs can afford to own a home in the neighborhood. When you look at everything that they've done in a 10 year span and look at the, the, the crime rate, how it has dramatically decreased over half, um, you can see what investment really is supposed to look like. And we need to do that all throughout the city of Chicago. Everyone needs uh, um, um, basic needs, and we need to provide those um, for each uh, individual community. Thank you. Now, everybody's favorite topic, pensions. Uh, Chicago's pension fund could be in deep trouble in 2023 if we get a market crash or a bad recession. Uh, Chicago could have to react quickly in some manner. How would you prepare for a potential pension crisis? This is for all the candidates. How are you going to prepare for a pension crisis? What specific steps might you take? Representative Buckner, we're going to start with you on this. Yeah, so let's be real about where we are when it comes to pensions. We are in a very tough and precarious spot. Uh, What this mayor has attempted to do uh, is to paint a rosy picture of where we are from a pension standpoint. Um, The ARPA money and the federal funds that she has used for down payments, which are um, one-time payments that we will never get back. They do not show the, the full picture of our pension system. Listen, the Government Accountability Office in Washington, D.C., they say that a, uh, a healthy pension plan is funded at 80 percent. We are nowhere near that. Our pension plans are way below that, 43 percent for the laborers um, and, and all the way down to 19 percent funded for our firefighters in this city. Right. So let's have a come to Jesus moment about that and then figure out what the next move is. We got to look at this differently. We got to figure out how we um, bring in suggestions and, and, and solutions like reamortization. Um, when the bond market and the interest rates are at the right level, how do we bring in pension obligation bonds to make sure that we are uh, paying off things and make sure that we also can level off our payments and do these things starting today so that by 2055 we can have a fully funded and healthy functioning pension system. Thank you very much. Uh, Alderman Sawyer. Yes. We have to have a very responsible long-term financial plan. And, and I, I get hit on this a lot because I stated earlier that I would not make any such promises as relates to taxes and things of that matter. And I stand by that. It's not that, I, you know, none of us are going to try to raise taxes. But what I'm saying is that part of a responsible financial plan is long-term planning on all levels. That includes taxes. You have to look at what your plans are going to be as it relates to uh, what's going to happen if if we do uh, run into a recession, that we may have to do things differently to make sure we make those pension obligation payments. But our own house has to be in order first. We have to clear this first. You know, just like when you're at home, when you're worrying about bills and you're thinking that uh, and you're on an adjustable rate mortgage might go up, you have to cut costs and you have to be trimmer, but you still want to make sure that you get the services that you deserve and require. But that starts at home first. Stop sweeping accounts you know, every year and saying that's a budget item change. It's not. You know, let's do real, real true budgeting so that we'll know where we are, we know where we are financially, and we can account for these true pension costs within our own selves first before we seek any help or trying to get any new revenues. 
Mr. Green. I'm sorry. I, I, I have to respond to Alderman Sawyer on this one. I'm really tired of politicians stepping up talking about taxes um, to get us out of the crisis that they've allowed us to be in all of these years. Um, you've been a public servant. Uh, uh, if you have been a public servant over four years, you knew of the crisis that we were in. And the crisis, when we talk about the pension crisis, it went 83 percent higher than 1996. And now we're talking about here again, and you're talking about you possibly possibly um, got to look at our taxes and look at raising them. Property taxpayers are tired of politicians lying to us about the pensions and then coming back later to say we're going to raise your taxes. This is what really needs to happen. What really needs to happen is now we must start to get our fiscal house in order and make sure that we go to the state so that we can address this crisis uh, um, firsthand. One of the ideas that, that we move forward as well is a public bank, right? When we talk about having a public bank, some of that profit in a public bank can go to paying down our pension crisis. We got to have a long-term plan now because the politicians in Illinois have ruined it for so many years and continue to pass the bucket to the next person and the next person and the next person uh, until we're going to be in really bad shape when my kids grow up. Um, we got to address this problem now and put us on a roadmap to a better fiscal future uh, and no more using property taxpayers to do so. Alderman Sawyer, your yes. chance to rebut. <laughs> yes, I, I hear you talking, young brother, but I want you to tune in on this for a second. I wasn't talking about raising taxes. I'm talking about a responsible tax plan. That's two different things. It has nothing to do with raising taxes. It's not, you know, and it's avoiding getting in the problem that we got into in the first place. Other politicians, you're right, other politicians say, hey, we're never going to raise taxes. Ah, we don't have to pay the pension anymore. Ah, we're all good. Everything is cool. Oh, we got to raise taxes a billion dollars now. I'm talking about something that bank rating agencies like, expected, small, incremental, and predictable changes and adjustments from time to time, not a wholesale tax increase. Thank you. Alderman King. So, yeah, we first of all, we need to work with the state uh, towards pension reform. That's something that we need to do. Um, but we also have to grow our city. If we don't grow our city, we're never really going to deal with that. And I have a plan to do that. We can use something called opportunity zones, uh, which are investments that people can make into areas, under-resourced areas that are already dedicated in the city, mostly in black and brown communities, where we can have investors put their money in for 10 years, come out tax-free, their gains and everything, which is something that people want to do. We're the only big city that hasn't done that. So I would do that and have billions of dollars coming into our communities, uh, surrounded by our schools as anchors, uh, bringing selective enrollment schools with a strong neighborhood component into those neighborhoods so that we can really grow our community. I would also stop these false fights. Uh, we had a fight, you know, between what the mayor called, you know, between between safety and equity over the red cameras or red light cameras and lowering those thresholds, which gave us about $40 million in a few months, which is great, but it was off the backs of black and brown people. We raised our hands as city councilmen and said, listen, we can redistribute these. I can put some on Michigan Avenue. I have colleagues who could put them in Lincoln Park. We could have had more equity, more money, um, and more safety. And so we've got to figure out plans for revenue growth as well. But growing our city is the best way to do that. Or we could have not had red light cameras at all. I, 
You don't, we don't get a rebuttal unless you are attacked your name. I'm just saying. Just, okay. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to turn our, uh, our lack of rebuttal. We are turn our focus to education. And this is a similar question from our, our earlier panel. In Chicago Public Schools, enrollment is down about 82,000 students over the last decade. Black and brown communities have been hit by school closures, and students, teachers, and parents were hurt by the COVID-19 pandemic. What is your plan to get Chicago Public Schools back on track? We'll begin with Alderman Sawyer. First of all, again, accountability. We have to make sure that we're doing the right thing for our children. We're not doing the right thing for our children if, again, like you stated, enrollment's going down, yet spending and personnel costs are going up. It's just it's a non-starter. It makes no sense. We have to really drive down and find out what we are doing and what we should be doing to first, foremost, and all educate our students. That's not spending money on front office expenses. We're going to have to take a real look after the moratorium is closed on what we're looking at with our schools. When you have a school that is under 5% enrollment and 0% proficiency in reading and math, and they don't have the resources, extracurricular activities, library, and all the things that you want to have in a fully functioning school there. We have to reimagine what our schools are going to look like in the 21st century. We're not doing it. We pay more attention and have more attachment to the building than we do to our own children, our students. We have to do better. We have to invest all of our resources, everything that we need to do toward our children, toward their education, particularly their social and emotional growth, because I'm going to tell you, I don't have enough time to talk about it, but it will curl your hair if I can tell you some of the stories about what I hear in our elementary schools in my area. Thank you. Mr. Green. We have someone in this race at every level of government, and I don't see the urgency when it comes to our kids who are suffering and dying in the streets each and every day. That's why I'm running. I'm running because I see kids in the neighborhood and I mentor kids right now who are literally going into school buildings without any type of resources in those school buildings. We have promoted charter schools uh, and shut down these buildings. And then they, they have a lot of these schools um, that are under enrolled without the resources and the wraparound resources needed to give individual attention to these students. And our kids are suffering. Um, one of the things we must do is we must move away from the enro- enrollment-based formula. We need to move to needs-based formula. We need to make sure that every school in the city of Chicago gets the investment that it deserves. And it's an institution that whenever you go into a neighborhood or move into any neighborhood, the quality of education should be the standard. You got selective enrollment schools where the, you got a test to get into a few good schools. And then if you're poor and you can't test into those schools, then you got to go to a poor school that doesn't have the resources. You got $30,000 per kid that's supposed to be going into the schools. It's not making it into the classroom. They don't have counselors. They don't have books. They don't have any of the things that they need. Need, uh, and then we're just passing them through and sending them back out into the world. Thank you. It's, it's utterly disgusting. Thank you, Mr. Green. Uh, Alderman King? Yeah, so, so as an educator, I know about this subject probably more <clears throat> than anyone. Um, again, we have to grow the city. Uh, and if we're not a safe community or have good schools, we're not going to do that. People are just choosing to leave, especially our teachers. So we have to incent them to be able to stay here. I'm offering a plan where we give essential workers uh, incentives to come here. We've done it before where you have, you know, no interest loans or dollar lots or money for rehab or down payment incentives so we can incent our 
our teachers and our other essential workers, which we've already forgotten about. Uh, so we've got to grow our schools. Opportunity zones, as I mentioned before, to grow our communities because it has to happen at the same time. We have to have strong after-school programs. There's no reason why every student, K, pre-K through 12, doesn't have a strong after-school program. That's something that we can do with little money and do that again overnight. Bringing back the trades in our schools in a meaningful way is also something that we need to do. We used to do it. We have to have options for our kids who don't necessarily choose college. We can do this. We're a strong union town, and we can put them in the 11th and 12th grade so that our kids can have those opportunities of future jobs. Thank you, Alderman. Yep. Uh, Representative Buckner. So I'm a CPS student, CPS graduate, K-12. My mother spent 33 years as a CPS teacher. My little sister is currently a CPS teacher on the south side. My oldest sister is currently a CPS principal in Austin. Uh, this is very important to me and it's personal to me. Listen, we didn't just lose enrollment in CPS. That sounds a little bit too passive. By the way we disinvested in our community schools, we told these families to hit the road. And it's not okay. So we have to make up for that. And we can only make up for that with true investment. The uh, evidence-based funding model, I have led the fight for that in Springfield to make sure that the money that Springfield sends to CPS gets to the young people that need it the most, not based on school population or enrollment, but based on needs. Um, I've also talked about the $436 million that we are missing and giving to our young people. We've got to make sure that we re-up those resources. I wrote the moratorium on school closings in Chicago and passed it through the General Assembly to make sure that we gave our young people a runway so we can put the resources in the school so we don't leave them behind like we have uh, in the past. I've also begun to work with ISBE to reconfigure the tier system so we can make sure that we have, uh, once again, the resources that our young people need. And I fought tooth and nail to bring the elected school board over the finish line in Springfield. All of these things and more are what, are what we need to do to make sure that we have a healthy and safe Thank public you. education system here. We're going to switch to uh, public transportation. Uh, that's our overall topic. You will each get individual questions uh, in this section. CTA ridership has plummeted. It's nowhere near pre-pandemic levels. City buses and trains have become unreliable and unsafe. Mr. Green, with regard to rider safety, would you increase police or security presence on the CTA? Well, I, I definitely think that CTA needs, uh, while we're dealing with a lot of the root causes of what's going on on CTA, um, they need some type of force. We have moved forth a plan to have a, peace, uh, a peacekeepers agency under CTA where folks are patrolling the trains to mitigate concerns. One of the first things we would do in the first 100 days is we would declare a state of emergency on public transit, right? We need to free up uh, to really send social workers on uh, um, our trains and our buses to get people off who really need services. That's one of the things that we must do and make sure that they have the housing and the, the mental health and substance abuse services that they need. Right now, CTA is a, a, a mobile homeless shelter uh, because we are not addressing the real root causes uh, of the community. And they're just going to our train. So right now we will have a peacekeepers agency. Uh, to patrol the trains, uh, and then we will address making it safe, clean, and fast. It, it stinks on CTA right now. Uh, it smells of urine. We got to address that problem by adding more shifts. We got to make sure our, our our CTA workers feel valued, and um, you know, with with making sure that they have free college education and home um, um, down payment and closing cost assistance. We got to do a lot. Um, and it's going to take Mr. Green, we gotta cut getting rid of here. the leadership of CTA is one of the first things we must do as well. 
Representative Buckner, your transportation platform has many CTA revisions, including two train line extensions, a new metro line, a fully electric bus fleet, and real-time surveillance. Considering the CTA cannot even reach its pre-COVID functionality, how do you expect to implement all of these policies? Listen, uh, reliability. Uh, when the CTA is, a, is reliable, when it's clean, when it's safe, when it's accessible, people use it. And when people use it, uh, it works better. That's the way the system uh, is set up. For those of you who have followed me, it may be no surprise to you. I took the red line here today, right? Uh, and it's very clear to me that this system is broken. This is not about resources, right? We continue to pump more and more money into CTA, and we have not seen the results. It sounds familiar, right? We see that in this city a lot. Um, when we talk about safety, reliability, accessibility, um, find a way to connect our, our safety cameras, find a way to coordinate with Metra and PACE, making sure that we uh, can speed up the electrification of our bus system and coordinate with PACE so we're not doing two different things at one time. Uh, when we talk about the 2019 bus redesign study, making sure that our bus routes are running the way that they're supposed to run. Bus rapid transit on the places like the Western Avenue line and, and, and Ashland. Listen, we are leaving so much on the table. Our CTA should be clean, safe, and accessible, and it also has to be a catalyst for growth. This is how we bring more people to Chicago and get, get people to stay in Chicago. It is what a hallmark of a great city is. Before we uh, ask our next, next question, it is 3.02, and I have to say this is the Chicago Mayoral Forum on WCPT AM 820, Willow Springs, our legal ID. Now that we have done our due diligence, uh, Alderman King, your question. In a survey by WBEZ, smoking came up as one of the most common complaints about the CTA experience. How would you address this and other nuisance and cleanliness issues? Yeah, so, you know, I agree with uh, some of the candidates up here. Cleanliness, smoking um, would uh, fall into that category. There's no smoking on uh, CTA, uh, safety, uh, reliability. Uh, but we really, what we really need um, is more resources. And in order to get those resources, we need to go to a regional approach for transportation in order to be a world-class transportation city. Um, other cities like New York and Boston have a regional approach. For instance, this is how it impacts us not having a regional approach. We got $29 million for electric buses in this city. Boston got like $129 million. New York got close to $200 million because the federal government sees our separate entities as fighting against each other. So the CTA, the PACE, and Metro are all part of those regional transportation systems, but we don't collaborate. We don't work together. So we have to come together as a, as a regional transportation system to use the resources that we have and get from the federal government uh, and economies of scales to make sure that it goes further. So that's one of the first things I would do, but that takes a lot of collaboration. Thank you. Thank you. Alderman Sawyer, so-called ghost buses and trains, where it appears that public transit is approaching you only to disappear on a digital schedule before arriving, is a huge reliability concern for riders. How would you address this problem? 
This is a problem that, that needs to take up to the top. As uh, I heard a couple of people say about Dover Carter, uh, we're going to need to take a really good look at our leadership structure in that. We want to make sure that when you look on your phone or your smart tablet or whatever, and it says that a train or L is going to be there, it's supposed to be there. Come on. We want to do better, and that starts with making sure that your upper echelon leadership is letting know the others in the department that this is an important thing, that you will have consequences for putting on schedule ghost buses and ghost trains. That's all about reliability. That's about structure. That's about who's being the boss, who is being uh, involved and responsible for these things. It is, I, I just, it blows my mind when I see the ghost buses and the concept of ghost buses and rails. That's a reliability question. Reliability question means that you don't have the proper leadership there to instruct people to make sure that they have, uh, know the importance of making sure that when you're coming on the L, you're expecting the ghost to win work, school, and be on time. And you want that bus or that rail uh, uh, car to be there on time. That is a problem from the top, and we make sure that that changes at the top. Our next category is actually you yourselves. We're going to ask you to talk about your experience. You all have varied degrees of experience from work in state government to city government to community organizing and other things. What, we're going to ask each of you this question, what about your experience in public service uniquely qualifies you to be the mayor of Chicago? Mr. Green, we're going to start with you. Well, my experience are in several different areas, uh, community organizing, uh, as you stated, with actually being next to the mothers and fathers who've lost uh, kids to gun violence for over 10 years and planning those funerals and putting up thousands of dollars in reward money uh, to catch um, suspects on the street. Um, actually being in the communities, mentoring young people, developing uh, as, as a real estate uh, broker as well, as well as um, a businessman, right? Understanding how to open up uh, a business and grow businesses and invest in small businesses all throughout the city as I have. I think all of the different experiences um, that I've experienced from organizing to business as well as my life experiences experience every single core issue in this city firsthand from poverty to uh, family with mental health problems to housing and being homeless to going into our schools that um, were failing me. You know, there were several different experiences that I've had personally that really shaped my view and why it's important to have a mayor of the city that can really relate to everyday people and to the working class people of this city. Alderman King, what uniquely qualifies you to be mayor of the city of Chicago? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think I've proven over the last six and a half years as a city councilman that I can lead uh, by attacking problems and not people and get things done uh, by bringing people together. I've had a lot of hard and difficult challenges where I brought people together and we got in the room like grown people and came out with great legislation or projects, whether it be the Michael Reese project, four striking developments in the city of Chicago, uh, Obama Center, the 78, uh, Lincoln Yards, all of those had dissension and consension, and, uh, and Michael Reese didn't. And so we got in a room, we formed an advisory committee, we had people who are on opposite sides of, of affordable housing, of businesses, and brought them together coming out with the most equitable de development, according to the New York Times, one of the most equitable in the country, where 
the community and the developer sees an upside. Uh, did that the same, changing Congress to Ida B. Wells, strategically put that together. DuSable Drive strategically brought people together to move that across. The fight for a $15 uh, legislation was in the room with people on both sides, restaurants, uh, uh, recipients, uh, uh, workers in the industry, uh, brought people together. So I am uniquely situated to take our city, move it forward, even in a pandemic. Thank you. Representative Buckner. I have a reputation of getting stuff done. Simple and plain. Uh, finding a way to yes instead of getting stuck at no. And it's who I am, it's who I have been, and it's who I will remain. My work on the federal level of government in the U.S. Senate for six years, uh, on the state government, in the state government, uh, where I am currently, and then uh, on the city level of government when I worked for the mayor of New Orleans uh, is unmatched. The only person in this race who has any real experience with a consent decree, as we talk about the Department of Justice and the work that's going on with CPD. Uh, I've, I've done a monumental, I've helped move monumental legislation in Springfield, like the ban on assault weapons, like the criminal legal reform that we passed a year and a half ago, and the expansion and extension of the earned income tax credit, real things that matter to people in Illinois and people in Chicago. But personally, the thing that makes me different here, the thing that makes, uh, will make me a great mayor, uh, is not only have I been in the operating room when a family member uh, has lost their lives because bullets in Chicago have ripped through their flesh, but also been in the legislative drafting room to put together legislation that can help move the city along. Listen, I wear this flag pin a lot, but I don't have to because it's not just on me, it's in me. I am Chicago, and this is why I will be the next, the great next person to be the mayor of Chicago. Alderman Sawyer. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, obviously, I can talk about my 12 years legislative experience. I think that I've been involved in, well, I know I've been involved in some impactful legislation uh, that I talked about earlier. Uh, I've been a lawyer 33 years. Uh, one of my proudest accomplishments was being uh, LSC chair for 10 years at my local school where both of my children attended. But really, when I talk about my experience in public service, I have to go back about 30 years ago when I worked on um, street outreach. I worked on a gang truce. Uh, I formed a group called United in Peace, and we worked on getting violence numbers back in the early 90s down, cut in half. And I'm extremely proud of that, but just showing my journey from working from the streets currently to the suites. I can work on both ends. I can talk to captains of industry. I can speak with uh, how we need to uh, improve our hospitality industry, but also talk about right into the face with a young brother or sister on the street that's been disinvested and feel that they're alone. I understand that because I went through that, uh, had multiple, multiple meetings on a weekly basis, including bringing my, my infant child at the time uh, to those meetings. So I'm not afraid to go into the belly of the beast and talk to people where they are to try to get things done. And I think that's really my public service that I'm really most proud of. We're going to do a uh, quick lightning round. These are 15-second answers. Okay. What is one nice thing you can say about the Lightfoot administration? And I will start with Alderman King. <laughs> Um, one nice thing, um, I think, I, I'm struggling here, no, um, I think that, I think that her heart is in the right place, I hope, um, and that, um, yeah, I, I thank you. Right <laughs> Just 15 seconds. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Rep Representative Buckner. Uh, 
She definitely uh, brought in the light. Uh, corruption, inept ineptness, uh, it can't hide anymore. We see it. Alderman Sawyer. I will say this about the mayor. Uh, once we uh, showed the inequities in the mental health department and show how it was understaffed and underutilized, uh, we made the administration enforce them into spending multiple times more on public mental health, and I think that is a compliment to her. Thank you. Mr. Green? But you guys didn't open up the, re the mental health facilities. You want to talk about it? We can talk say. about it. All right, but let me, <laughs> let me say this. Um, you know, the one thing that, that I'll, I'll push, say that the mayor did well, which is a project that I helped her with when she first got in, was create the first ever youth commission that the city of Chicago has ever had where young people have a voice um, at the seat at the table and can move forward reports okay. to report to the mayor. Another lightning round question. Um, even though you four are here, this I want you to think in terms of all nine candidates uh, right now vying to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Would you want any of the other candidates running for mayor to serve in your administration? If so, who? Let's start with Mr. Green. Yeah, for sure. I think that there are some great candidates, um, you know, in the race that, that do we got to say names or we just. Well, yeah, that would be good. That would be good. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I just think one. each one of these candidates have something to offer here at, uh, on this stage, um, you know, and. That's all you have to that's say. All I gotta <laughs> say. That's all you have to say. <clears throat> Alderman Sawyer. I, obviously, I, I think highly of these individuals here, and, and pretty much most of the uh, candidates in this race, I think they all have attributes that would definitely fit into a Sawyer administration, and I would love to have quite a few of them here. <laughs> uh, Representative Buckner. It's going to take all of us to save Chicago, and so I'm looking forward to working with everybody who's in this race as the next mayor of Chicago. Alderman King. Yeah, I would uh, I would say that as well, that uh, we have to bring people together. Um, you know, there's just too much dissension, and, and we really cannot move forward as a city un until we do that. I think we, we um, what I will say that I didn't say before is, you know, I tried to work with the administration, but I think the challenge is, is in COVID and social unrest, we Thank missed you. an opportunity to bring us together as a city. Thank you. Yep. We're going to turn to uh, to lead pipes. Uh, this is a question that you can take 75 seconds to answer. New state laws will require a significantly faster pace for lead service line removal. These pipes are responsible for contaminating water, and the replacement rate is slow. How will you speed up this sluggish process? We'll begin with Representative Buckner. So the fact that we have poisoned our people for generations is criminal, right? And we need to have a real conversation about that. Uh, the last administration pretended like the lead pipe issue didn't happen, like it didn't exist. And this administration has acknowledged it, but has refused to do anything about it. We are moving at a snail's pace to make the people of Chicago safe and how dare us uh, do that to the people who we are supposed to represent. Listen, um, I pushed the legislation and helped it get over the finish line in Springfield to speed up the timeline on the removal of these lead pipes. Uh, but the city still has not done enough. We need to put the city into triage zones. Uh, and figure out um, how we move uh, our lead pipe removal forward. Secondly, the city has told re residents that this is their issue and they need to find a way to pay for it, or at least to pay for some of it. No, the reason we have more lead service lines than anywhere in the country is because up until 1986, it was the law in Chicago that you had to build that way. That's on the city. The city has to do better. Um, 
I've also talked about making sure that we can look at this layup pipe uh, issue and create a massive jobs program for the young, young people in our community, find ways to help them be part of the middle class and be a part of the solution. And it also is, to me, uh, ridiculous that uh, pregnant women, that daycare centers, that schools still have lead pipes, and that we need to uh, make sure we speed up the process so they can get the help first. Thank you, sir. Alderman Sawyer? Yes, we have to do it on multiple levels. Uh, one of the issues, one of the challenges is obviously it costs billions of dollars, but we need to get past that and find a way to get the money, whether we bond for it or uh, seek our partners in, in assistance. It's a both-and approach. Two, we want to make sure that those... Uh, that want filters and want, I think, till we can fix those pipes, please take advantage of the service that we do have now. You can get filters, you can get tested, so that we'll know the levels and we can get a better understanding. Three, we want to make sure that we are separating the people that are able to pay, people that are unable to pay, people that have challenges. We want to make sure that we get this done as quickly as possible because it is a difficult challenge, but I think we're up for that challenge. We just have to make the commitment to get the money, to secure the financing, to get these pipes replaced and replaced quickly because our children's lives are at stake. We have to do better. Right. Mr. Green? 100%. It, it makes no sense that we have, you know, 380,000 lead service lines, and the mayor over the last four years, I think, have only changed like 400 of them. Um, it's insane because we got children all throughout the neighborhoods that are drinking lead water, and we don't know the effects um, long term. Um, so one of the things that we must do, uh, one of the first things we would do in our administration is we will uh, make sure that we have a fully funded Department of Environment. That's one of the things we must do. We also must prohibit lead service lines uh, in this city. We also must make sure that every person has access to a filter while we are uh, um, uh, moving this plan forward. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I agree with my colleague, and I think that I want to work with him while he's in the state uh, to move forward some money for this uh, to make sure that we have a massive jobs program. This is important. You know, I've been pushing this as well on a campaign trail. Think about, you know, the pipeline to middle class jobs that we can have by changing the lead, the 380,000 lead service lines that we have in this city. This is a real unique opportunity to invest back into the uh, uh, communities and create real growth in people and in communities. So that's one of the things that is a priority of our administration. Alderman King. Yeah. So w when you go to drink a glass of water, um, which is one of our most precious commodities like our air, uh, you need to have some assurance that you're putting something good in your body. Uh, the devil is in the details here. We actually just need the political will um, at, to come together uh, with collaboration because there are a lot of details here. Uh, New Jersey changed all of their lead pipes uh, within a year. But what it took was political will and collaboration because in order to do that, and we have to do the same thing here, here, there has to be some legislation change. For instance, we need legislation that will allow um, uh, the city workers to work on private uh, property because the lead lines are going into private property. And to get that from every single landlord is difficult. So you have to pass a sweeping legislation to change that within the city. We also need the same type of legislation that would allow uh, private funds to be used on public property. Those are things where we need to work with the state and with the city in order to do that. So we have to do that and then have uh, the political will. Again, you know, one of our most precious commodities, we have to put that as a priority. This administration just hasn't done that. 
Now, on to our closing statements. You each have one minute, but we're going to ask you a specific question for your closing statement. Okay, we're not going to talk about public safety or crime right now. Other than that, give us one minute on what your top priority is in City Hall. Alderman Sawyer, we're going to start with you. <clears throat> Thank you. And I spoke about it earlier. My top priority in City Hall is resetting government operations. When you uh, decide to make a decision to live in the city, you want to come in Chicago, and there's certain expectations that you had. You know, you want to make sure that, you know, streets are nice. You know, we have uh, water that we just talked about. You, want, you know, there's certain basic services, police protection, that you expect us to have. Uh, right now, we're working on an archaic system uh, where we have a city charter that has not been updated in decades or maybe even scores of decades. Uh, it's crazy. And when you talk about that, it's like talking about having a constitution and all you have is the Bill of Rights. We need to update our government structure. We need to do better with our 311 system, make it updated so that calls no longer have to go two places in order for them to get served. Currently, they go to the alderman and they go to 311. Makes no sense. President of the city council should not be the mayor. And I can talk about this on and on. And I see my <laughs> time is up. But that's resetting government structure is my top priority. Mr. Green, you have one minute. Well, my top priority is to make sure that every young person in this city has the opportunity to become whomever they want to be. That's the biggest reason why I'm running is because young people are hopeless in this city. Young people, if they get an opportunity to leave or if they go off to college, they don't want to come back to Chicago. And I'm raising three boys right now, and I'm fearing for the future they will have in this city. So I'm running to make sure that every young person in every neighborhood in the city of Chicago has the opportunity to grow and thrive. Starting early, we should have three, uh, a universal 3K where three-year-olds are starting in schools, making sure that schools have programs throughout the day, trade, tech hubs, making sure that we have apprenticeships for young people year-round. Every young person should feel like Chicago is utopia, that there is always, always an opportunity for them to become better and to be productive uh, and go out and change society. Our kids are smarter than Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And we're going <laughs> to make sure that we show the world Thank you, Mr. what Green. Chicago youth are. Alderman King. Yeah. So other than safety, as I mentioned before, I think education is our next uh, top priority. Obviously, collaboration through all of the priorities, but education. If we don't have a safe city and, and we don't have schools that people can go to, uh, our city is going to continue to decline in enrollment in places that we need, in, uh, excuse me, in places that we need population the most. Um, so uplifting teachers would be a part of that. Again, there are two professions where we throw everything at that we're unable to solve teachers and police. Um, and so we need to support both of those. Youth engagement would be part of that. Again, K through 12, there's no reason why we can't have co-curricular after school programming. Um, bringing the trades back to the schools in a meaningful way uh, to give and prepare our children uh, for the jobs of the future. Um, and also, again, expanding selective enrollment schools. A lot of kids do not get in those with a strong neighborhood component so that we can, again, attract people to stay in the city and to come back to the city. Representative Buckner. Yeah, thank you. John, you, you said in this answer that we shouldn't talk about public safety or crime. Uh, I just want to be very clear. Uh, crime is not a disease. It's a symptom of a disease. And that disease is a lack of investment in public safety. Public safety isn't the Chicago Police Department. It's 
CPS, public safety is CTA, public safety is CHA, and our libraries and our parks is building an apparatus that can give our young people a quality of life and options to not uh, be involved in a life of crime. Listen, um, Daniel Burnham said, makes no small plans. And unfortunately, too many people in this race have made no plans at all for the people that people in Chicago who really need help right now. We deserve more. My campaign is predicated on making this the best city it can be, not a former version of Chicago, but the city that Chicago has always deserved to be. And together, we can do that. Thank you. Thank you, candidates. Thank you, audience. Thank you, Patty and Santita. Uh, for everybody at WCPT, I'm Joan Esposito. This concludes our WCPT mayoral forum. Now going to throw it back to Turi Ryder in the studio for some post-forum discussion. The WCPT 820 Chicago Mayoral Candidate Forum was sponsored by Morningstar Inc., Rovers Local 11, Chicago Voice and Data Authority, East Lake Management, Chicago Teachers Union Local 1, and Oscar Isberian Rugs.